Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast turning up its nose at California wine. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my supplementary oxygen, Chris File. Hello, Chris. It feels absolutely wrong and rude that we are, you know... Recording this episode in the warmth of our homes and not uh, in the tundra, freezing atop a mountain where I there think are the probably audio still bodies. Up there is probably terrible, though. <laughs> yeah, what an awful <laughs> podcast studio! You wouldn't be able to hear anything. You'd get you'd get so many listener complaints, being like, "I I, I hear wind whipping into the microphone. I don't know what's that, going on there." But yeah, you just hear like, her oh, Michael Bavaro." oh my god uh michael babaro stay off of everest nobody belongs nobody belongs on everest this is what i've come around with from everest nobody belongs up there i absolutely not uh, i are you are you the the uh, intrepid mountain climber of us chris you do have the stairs no 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 the amc movie theater stairs behind um Okay, we'll just get into my first and first impressions. Pr- first primary problem. Even before we invite movie. Katie onto the, we'll we'll get first impressions. That's Listeners more I understand. Uh, yeah. This movie does not make any case. I feel for why someone would want to do this. Fundamentally, I feel uh-huh. like we in the audience should understand why a human being would hmm. want to go and do this and. This movie never answers that question. <laughs> Do you think that like Free Solo answers that question in a different way? I think yes. Free Solo does for as much as I have I I watch Free Solo and I'm like this guy. But I'm like but exactly. I at least watch that movie and I'm like these kind of guys exist and like I kind Free of understand. Free Solo yeah. is like what if there was a weird guy? Mm-hmm. With Ooh, giant hands. My thing about Free Solo is the only thing I can think of now is after Free, Free Solo's doing the press rounds and campaigning for Oscar. And so that guy was everywhere doing like variety videos and probably a Vanity Fair video and and a bunch of different stuff. And he's like commenting on like rock climbing scenes in other movies or whatever. And anytime he would like be animated or whatever and you could see his hands, his hands are like twice as big as a normal hand. They're like mm-hmm. giant freak hands, which makes sense. Like that's the only kinds of people who can probably be good at 
the secret free, to success. free climbing of a rock because you've got to like really like be able to grab on. But it's just like all I could do as I'm watching him talk is I'm just staring at his hands like a weirdo. Like I can't, <laughs> God forbid I ever met him in person. I would be, it would be very much like my eyes are up here, sir, because it would just be like, I'd be like staring at he his hands. He seems like such time. a weird dude. He wouldn't even notice. I feel like you would maybe. not be the weird one in that scenario. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, like, like the, 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 the actors that they cast are the most like basic white male actors and then Jake Gyllenhaal has long hair. Like oh. maybe if they cast Jake Gyllenhaal's m- the Michael Voltaggio of this. He's like <laughs> rock and roll like I'm a bad boy. Yeah. yeah. We should introduce Katie. We should oh, introduce. So uh, back for her is it fifth movie? Is this your fifth movie? I have no I, I honestly Let's count them up. Know. You were here okay. for um, the Money Monster. These are not in order. You were yeah, here yeah, for yeah. About Time. Lost City of Z, which is how Lost we got Lost City here. of Z. Um, there was, but what was your first one? Pan. Pan. I feel like uh, Pan wasn't was even the your first. The Taurus. So this is your sixth All, movie. Right. The theme of Katie Rich. This had Oscar buzz episodes are expedition. It, yeah. Yeah, what yeah, let's men. tie them all together. Let's no, tie No, it's men. It, it's 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 generic white men. Like it's these, those <laughs> cursed games keep that's getting true. Us that's down really this like, road over that's and over. That's really again. narrowed you down and like sort of boxed you in a little but bit. But also like they're very dear to my heart. Like the the Garrett Headlands and Charlie Hunt is sure, the sure, sure. kids of the world like really matter to me. Um I mean, you remember how how Lost City Zed led to this, right? I went back and listened to the Oh no, please I let me know because remember. I forget everything. So, yeah. I, we were talking we the game was Sienna Miller or anyone else. Right. And we started talking about Sam Worthington sure. and how you couldn't play the Sam Worthington or anyone else because no one could remember anything. Oh, no, it was whether she was in Everest. And okay, it was, right, um, right. Yeah. Uh, Keira Knightley, who we'll yeah. get to. <laughs> yes. uh, and I defended Everest. I said, not bad movie. And then it, it was just determined that we would do Everest. So here we are. I mean, Everest is perfect for that that strain of Katie Rich movie, which is throw <laughs> as many sort of character actors of like all the same age all mm-hmm. like with the same kind of beard essentially just like yep. throw them in the same movie and <laughs> let them bounce off each other for a while and that's well, kind of what Everest is and we'll have a lot of time to talk about this but I feel like I've been a Jason Clark defender for a really long time I also and, think that, uh, that, that makes like spiritual sense that makes a lot yeah. of spiritual sense to me the yes. weirdest thing to me watching this and you, I might have missed someone is that he is the only Oppenheimer cast member in Everest because you feel like it's a one to one match incredible. in terms of the cast Isn't that's that absolutely weird? incredible if that's it feels true. like there that should be more why, but Michael Kelly has no business not being an <laughs> not Oppenheimer. Being like, Michael Kelly fuck? has to be an Oppenheimer. That's well, crazy. no, because Michael Kelly, this is the era when Michael Kelly got to do small parts in movies because of House of Cards. Because of House of Cards. Back to TV. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I wonder what he, well, I'm back at IMDb. I wonder what he's up to. We'll, we'll get there. And the inverse <laughs> is true. Like, so many people in Oppenheimer should have been in this mm-hmm. movie. Like, Matt it's Damon. kind of like. Matt Damon. Um, who was Finn your your Han. favorite? Your favorite from uh, from Oppenheimer, Chris? Um, Macon Blair. Blair Macon oh, Blair, yeah. the incredible Macon Blair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although he like he has the vibe of someone who's sensible enough not to do this. Like David Crumholtz seems... should have been like somebody's like <laughs> agent back home or something like you that. You know, I like, would he should have been Krakauer's book agent. On the he was phone. over there hanging out with Peach Weathers. Uh, yeah, he was the editor range. at whatever magazine <laughs> Krakauer was was writing this for. Yeah. Okay, you bring up Krakauer. How well we should. Weird is it that Michael Kelly plays John Krakauer, and this movie has nothing to do with Krakauer's Everest book. 
Well, that's so yeah. that's yes, we should talk about that in like in at the beginning because that sort of gets into the inception of this book. So the the movie is based on this like, you know, obviously incredibly infamous disaster on Everest uh that happened in 1996, 6. Yes. Yeah. Um and Krakauer is there uh, covering it for, I believe, a magazine, and I can't remember what outside magazine. magazine I think. Thank you, Katie. Yeah. See, yeah. see, we're this is this is a perfect <laughs> trip. A magazine all about the things you can do outside. And so when it goes so wrong, he uh, he ends up writing the book into thin air, which is, if not his first big breakthrough, like it was his biggest breakthrough today. Like it was a huge success for him and it's sort of like I feel like every time you see him mentioned like that's the book that's in parentheses after his name is into thin air even though yeah. the first one that I had read from him was Under the Banner of Heaven which I think is right. also oh, interesting. a tremendous has, and terrifying book has um, also now become a uh, adapted to the screen and it's something that everyone will forget immediately not, I, I am the one defender I'm the big Under the Banner of Heaven TV miniseries defender I thought that was my really sister tremendous. was just defending it to me today I thought I think it's I thought wow. it was incredibly well done I really liked it a lot I love it um, Andrew Garfield, but speaking, I cannot do either. Speaking of Sam Worthington, uh, uh, <laughs> terrifying in that. Um, but it is yes. just wild to me that Krakauer is not credited in any way, or like this is I don't not think mentioned as an because they tried to make a movie out of that, and yeah. it ended up being this like TV movie with Peter Horton from Thirty Something, and then Baltazar, not Krakauer, but Cor- Cormacor. Cormacor. Um, made the movie and like they were like very adamant they were like this is not based on Krakauer's book like this is based on you know other sources and whatever but um I well, think they very didn't have the rights like I yeah. right. that's plain and simple right yes but because he was an actual person who was actually there like they couldn't prevent pre- prevent them from like you know naming him in it or you know whatever yeah he's um, like a yeah, I don't remember there being like actual like you know conflict in the adaptation process it was just like no it's not based on this book it's based on yeah um, I guess by the time it came out everyone's like let's just not fight about this we're not yeah. although I definitely like read into thin air to prepare for I was doing Did interviews really? for this movie Man. which we can get into yeah I had never read it not for this podcast too oh okay at the time I was doing a story oh, okay. about this movie which we can get into yes um, and so I read into thin air to kind of know what I was talking about um, yeah Good book. I'd never read it, but now I want to. Certainly, after I had seen Everest before, but after seeing it the second time, I think I don't remember how much I liked it the first time. I, I just first impression, like I really liked. Not really. I walked away from this being like I was really compelled by this by the end. There, the beginning of the movie, I'm just sort of like I can't tell anybody apart. They're all <laughs> they all have like you know, winter face coverings and they all they have the same beard. They try to take beard. off their goggles as much as they can. There's snow out. in their beard all the time. I can't really, <laughs> you know, tell all these like very sort of similar looking people apart except for Jake Gyllenhaal. And then by the end, I'm just kind of like riveted by what's going on. And I imagine that must have been the case. Plus also the fact that I was seeing it on a big screen when I saw it on a big screen, which must have, you know, terrified me all the more. So Mm -hmm. I ended up really liking Everest. Did you see it in IMAX 3D? I saw it at the, um, at the AMC Lincoln square, but I don't think I saw it on the IMAX screen. That was the the one IMAX screen. It is the one real IMAX screen in New York city, but that was the one where I was, I was at something at Lincoln Center. I was like meeting somebody at Lincoln Center or something, or maybe it was around the um, New York Film Festival, actually. And I just remember being like in the area 
and I had some time and I looked up showtimes and they're like, oh, Everest is starting. I should go see Everest. And that was why I saw Everest that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I but saw it, it at, the, uh, at the Bryant Park screening room, which is where Joe and I saw Saltburn together a That's couple true. weeks ago. Um, not really an IMAX 3D vibe in that room. No. Uh, so I didn't get the full experience, I guess. No. What did we hear? We were we were seeing Saltburn and there was like some kind of like oh, you know what it was? It was I think I think in my head what I had made that sound was was the popcorn machine popping the popcorn, you know, because they yeah. give, they uh-huh. put the popcorn and I was like, I couldn't for the life of me understand what this like pop 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 sound was. And I'm like, is this like surface street like or is this no, artistic choice in Saltburn? Yeah, right. Um I also I saw the Saltburn trailer again, the Red Band Saltburn trailer before Killers of the Flower There's a Red Band trailer. I don't think I don't think there's a non I don't think there's a non Red Band trailer. I think like I've seen a trailer in a theater and it was definitely not Red. Oh, okay. Well, then they they, there's a Red Band trailer. Mm. Um, And watching it, say fuck once or is it like I think so because it's like they don't show any of the nudity. Um, But even having Katie, we saw that movie together and I remember being like, oh, that was fun, but I have like X, Y, and Z problems with it. And watching the trailer, I'm like, I can't wait to see this again. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you can something. see it now as this episode drops. It opens I, uh, the week of Thanksgiving. I might yeah. shoot my shot and say, I'm going to uh, call that for this had Oscar buzz episode in 2028 or whatever. Yeah, whatever I don't, I do uh, not see that as an Oscar nominee. Sorry, Rosamund Pike. You are awesome. It'll be a fun one to talk about. It will be a very fun Four years. <laughs> yes, for sure. We love talking um, about Barry. Oh yeah. Oh, we'll have plenty. He also to talk could about be an Barry. Everest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also should be an Everest. How? So he would have been like he would have been he'd, a young he'd be in pretty here. Young. Yeah. He and Mia Goth like... could have been uh, Mia, Roland's kids. Oh my god. I I text our group chat in all caps <laughs> Mia Goth because at that point you're already just like oh my god. Oh my god! Yeah. Every this time person, someone every new five shows minutes, up, it's yeah. like this person is in. I fully this missed Vanessa Kirby. I will have. Uh, I will admit. That. I was gonna bring that up. I pulled it up on Wikipedia and was like, "Excuse me, <laughs> Vanessa <laughs> Kirby as Malibu Barbie on Everest." <laughs> The wig that they give her with the like silk ribbon in her hair. She has like, I, a headband. So I she's the one in Gyllenhaal's her. expedition who's like yeah, on the phone she, the whole yeah. time. Exactly, okay. she's on the phone the whole time. She has to get rest. She has to get like pulled down the mountain. There's a whole there's a Vanity Fair story from like 1997 about there's that. There's always woman, a Vanity Fair story from the is. 90s about stuff like this. Yes, I, I love that. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. For for that, she's an interesting figure. Um, but I absolutely missed it. Vanessa Wasn't it the thing where we were trying to figure out what um. Uh, what people were talking about when they said the gay mafia. Um, yes. And then we looked it, it up and it was like there was a Vanity Fair story from the 90s yeah, that explained it. it was... <laughs> Michael Ovitz had had said that the gay mafia... It was a joke in the Oscars. That's right. Yes. We were doing our yes. Oscars episode on yeah, Little yeah, Gold yeah. Men. And we were like, where did the idea that like there's a gay mafia come from? And it was yeah. Michael Ovitz. <laughs> he said in a magazine to a reporter, knowing he was on the record that the gay mafia had run him out of Hollywood. Yep. And like yep. people just said things like that back yep. then. And he meant like David Geffen and his friends or whatever. But like, um, that's so funny. Well, uh, Michael, yeah, Ovitz, Geffen and his Michael Ovitz might like, have been better right off if the gay mafia had run him out of Hollywood. Because like... Uh, uh, what's her face is going to take him down? The great uh, Julia Ormond, right? Isn't he part of that whole uh, the CAA thing? The complaint oh. that she's 
This is where I'm going to be forced to admit that like my, I have like CAA blinkers where I see the CAA, CAA and I'm like, all right, which one is a manual? <laughs> I know CAA. I don't remember. I know CAA is Mike Ovitz's, uh, at least was initially Mike Ovitz's uh, agency because I watched The Late Shift so many times, the TV movie <laughs> about the Letterman and Leno thing. Um, and I watched that a ton because it used to be on Comedy Central all the time. Um, and so I remember very specifically Treat Williams played Michael Ovitz and he had just started CAA and he was very heavily courting David Letterman. In, See, I could uh, be learned. I have learned so much more about Hollywood back then if I'd been watching better late night TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, Chris, why don't you um, pitch uh, this head Oscar buzz turbulent brilliance to our fantastic listeners if they're not already a subscriber? Maybe Katie can. Uh, uh, Katie's Katie's going to be a guest. Soon, yeah, or is what's she, the timeline? At this point, Katie's here. already been a guest. At this point, oh. Katie's already been a guest. So, wow. so, who's the better first guest over on the Patreon than Katie? I've been uh, demanding it since the minute it exists. I think before it existed. <laughs> Listeners, we have a Patreon. Go follow us uh, at This Had Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance. It's patreon.com slash This Had Oscar Buzz. What are you going to get over there? Well, for $5 a month, you're going to get two scheduled bonus episodes. That includes our exception episode on the first of the month. This is for movies where it really fits the This Had Oscar Buzz rubric, but did get Oscar nominations. Movies like Nine, Pleasantville, Lovely Bones. Just this month, we have with one Katie Rich, an episode on Baz Luhrmann's Australia. Then on the 15th of the month, you're going to get an excursion episode where we go into a deep dive on Oscar ephemera and things we obsess with, like actress roundtables. Later, well, by now it will already be up. We have an episode on the MTV Movie Awards from 1996. It's a fun oh time. The same uh, year as Into Thin Air? Yes. <laughs> As a country was trying to to recover <laughs> from the Everest disaster, MTV bravely soldiered on and uh, put on the MTV Movie Awards. Dennis so, Rodman shows up and makes an into thin air joke that does not go well with the crowd. Um, <laughs> join us over there. We also recently launched call-in episodes, so we're taking your calls with your questions about the current Oscar season, lingering questions from episodes, etc. Those will be popping up at random. Nice little surprises for you. But uh, sign up for this Had Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance. Patreon.com slash this had Oscar buzz. Yeah, we thank you, Katie, for being our uh, our very first Patreon guest. So. I would be outraged if I weren't. This is true. This is true. All right. Um, <laughs> Listeners very, should be outraged if you weren't. Very excited to get discourse. into this. I especially am excited to get into, Katie, your connection to that. Maybe we should go into that before we jump into the plot. So you oh, covered sure. this in your capacity at Cinema Blend? No, so I was at Vanity Fair by then. You were already and, at Vanity um, Fair. Oh, okay. And this was back of course in you were. Of course early you were. days yeah. of 2015. And yeah. at that point, if you worked for the website, like you sort of existed at Vanity Fair and sort of didn't. Uh-huh. So anytime that the people in the magazine would pay attention to us, and for me specifically, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. And at this point, they had all these photos that Greg Williams had. Greg Williams a pretty famous photographer. He goes to like, Venice every year and like hangs out with celebrities. He has, you know photo books, everything else. Um, mm-hmm. He had taken photos on the set of Everest. Um, and we they were going to run it as a spotlight in the October issue or whenever it was. Mm-hmm. And I think by the time they were looking for me, it was already like, eh, it might just be a web only thing. But I didn't really know that. So I was like, I might get a print assignment. Let's see how this goes. And I think yeah. I wrote up like a very like short print 
style write up for it. You can still find it if you Google my name in Everest. I think you find it. I mean, there nice. are very interesting photos from the set of Josh Brolin and Jason Clark and Jake and everybody. Um, and so I interviewed. Let's see, I'm looking through. I interviewed Josh Brolin. Interviewed Jason Clark. I guess I talked to Baltasar Comercore. You know, for like a 400 word write up that now exists. So they from did... the from the set because we know that they did some of this stuff obviously close to location, and then they did the rest of their filming in. London, I believe, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at these photos are like of some like very, very large sound stages where they've like built, you know, a, like gotcha. steep yeah. uh, mountain. They were in uh, Nepal and uh, the Alps in Italy and then yes. Pinewood Studios in London. In London. where they filmed yep. this thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, so not yeah, too I, bad, I will say. Like I, the, the location stuff, I, who am not like great at this stuff admittedly, but like I don't think I could tell you which what which stuff was besides obviously like the the wide shots and whatever like which stuff was the three of us who have done multiple yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, multiple uh climbs of everest we know what it looks like up well there. it's the one of those so things we, like, we can say that it looks authentic if yeah. it was filmed on the moon you'd know it wasn't really the moon but like right. the camera can swoop around and being like "Ooh, which part's real and which part's fake i feel like it does capture that like yeah. i don't really know what this looks like but i you know, the camera starts behind Jason Clark and swoops around and you see yeah. the storm that's coming in front of him and you're like, yes. oh shit, I don't know how they did that, but it fooled me. <laughs> One of the things that I found out in my uh, research for this episode is a lot of the spots on the mountain that they were at don't exist in the way that they did anymore because of an earthquake that happened in, mm-hmm. I think, around the time that the movie came out, like around 2015 or whatever. And so, like, that whole, like, Hillary step that they keep talking about doesn't exist anymore because of an earthquake wow. in Nepal. And there have also been, like, um, avalanches and stuff like that. So, like, the, the actual terrain that this event uh, happened on, like, doesn't exist in that way anymore. So, wow. Earth, maybe one of the things that, like, oh, am I going to a place where, like, uh, it's so volatile that like this thing might not actually exist anymore. In that a the earth like, maybe will tell me go. get out. <laughs> yeah, the earth is sometimes when they're like, "Hey, so um, uh, the environment can't support human life above this elevation," <laughs> which is basically what Elizabeth Debicki says at the beginning of this movie, and she's just like, "So you're going to be going north of where you won't have the oxygen to live, and <laughs> just be your aware your body of that. will slowly start to die." I think yeah. that's what Jason Clark says. Like, you get a pair and you are literally dying. You will, your there. body is in the process of dying while yeah, you're here. Yeah, and they're so like, yep, great. Go. I've paid a ton of money to do this. I'm in. Well, after after we get to the plot description, we'll, I want to talk about, like, the kinds of the kinds of characters who are in this uh, and the actors who they've gotten to play these characters. Because I do think it's a pretty well-cast movie for that. And, um, and also the people who are... movie for characters that are not very defined. I think I think the casting goes a long way to help helping to define mm-hmm. these characters too in a certain way, which is nice. Um, and I think also we can talk about the the ones who are either at base camp. I think Emily Watson is so good in this movie. Like genuinely, I feel like we get too few opportunities to really see her. Kind of after breaking the waves, I think that was like that was she's never really gotten a role that even approaches that kind of thing. And I haven't seen... Hillary and Jackie, how dare you? 
Well, Hillary and Jackie too, but I've never seen um, Chernobyl, and I know she's supposed to be quite good. In oh Chernobyl. God, yeah, yeah, yeah she's, she's great good in Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Yeah, but I honestly, really post COVID though, I'm not sure I would tell you to watch Chernobyl. Like no. it's so grim about Chernobyl's one of those things that people watched in. Quarantine. I know, like I, I don't know how. That I and w- Contagion were, are the were the two things that I'm like. Why is this your quarantine? <laughs> I watched it in 2019, or like right before it would have felt far more relevant. Than I got into watching YouTube videos of marble races. Like, and other people are <laughs> like, I'm going to watch Contagion in Chernobyl. It's like Jesus Christ. Um, all right, Katie, I'm going to read the the specifics about Everest, and then we're going to get okay. a 60 second plot description from you. So uh, get ready. All we right. are talking about the 2015 film Everest, directed by Baltazar Kormakor, Kormakor, uh, according to the accent mark over the A, written by William Nicholson and Simon Beaufoy, starring Jason Clark, Jake Gyllenhaal, Josh Brolin. John Hawks, Martin Henderson, Elizabeth Debicki, Emily Watson, Michael Kelly, Sam Worthington, Robin Wright, Robin Wright's accent, and uh, Kira Knightley. And we will, uh, this premiered, uh, world premiered at the Venice Film Festival, in fact, September 2nd, 2015. Opened we'll the Venice that. Film Festival. Sure did. Uh, then opened in limited release on September 18th, 2015 in IMAX theaters, and then went wide the week after that, September 25th, 2015. Katie, I'm going to grab my stopwatch. Are okay. you prepared? Who can <sighs> ever possibly be prepared? No, I'm not prepared for climbing Everest, nor for this, but I'll do <laughs> all, right. all the same. Well, if you uh, want to begin, we can start now. Okay, so it's May 1996. You've got a bunch of rich people who want to climb Everest, but you mostly need to know about two groups. There's Mountain Madness, led by uh, Scott Fisher. He's Jake Gyllenhaal. He's shirtless and a wild man. And then you've got adventure consultants. That's Rob Hall, the Jason Clark. He's a nice New Zealand guy with a pregnant wife at home, played by Kara Knightley. Wife on phone. Just remember that. Uh, they're trying to go climb Everest. There's all these different logistical challenges. Uh, Rob's group is the main one we know. There's a uh, Texan who's brash. It's Josh Brolin. There's a mailman who is nice, and it's John Hawks. John Krakauer is in there. Uh, and they're all trying to get up to Everest on the day that they're actually climbing it gets crowded there's all these various complications some people have to give up they didn't have enough oxygen some people go crazy and take off all their clothes and then a storm starts to show up and rob finds himself stuck at the top of the mountain with the john hawks guy he's trying to get down uh jake gyllenhaal scott fisher keeps going up and down trying to help people everyone is in a big fucking huge mess 10 seconds the next morning uh a bunch of them have died on the mountain uh beck weathers the texan uh, somehow survives with the worst frostbite you've ever seen in your life and uh, then john krakauer uh, goes and writes a book about it but we don't see that part because they didn't have the rights two seconds over katie rich excellent job well done i I skipped a lot of stuff i thought i was going to get into you know what you're totally fine i mean basically all of these characters who are real people so like not to be glib about it but basically this is a movie where almost everyone dies i it's it's i've i had seen this movie before and so i'm watching it again and i remembered that a lot of the people died. I also remembered, I knew that Brolin's character survived. I remembered right. that part. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, and you know the thing where you can like hover over a hyperlink and it'll like give you like the top uh-huh. note like paragraph or whatever? And so I'm going through the characters' names, and all the top notes are like such and such was a, such uh-huh. and such was a, and I'm like, oh God, like, and it is. Almost all of the main characters who go up the mountain do not come back down the mountain. Um, it really That's is true. Krakauer and uh, and Josh Brolin's and characters Josh Brolin. are like the only two main ones. Uh, yeah. Everybody else freezes. And Josh up Brolin there. comes back and he loses a nose and both of his hands from frostbite. both of his hands. So- 
Yeah. Oh my God. I want to talk about. Jake Hall gets the and credit. You expect him to die much sooner than he does because of you that. You do. Well, I'm he's glad. A, not in that. I mean, maybe he is. Like, he's just so not the like focus of the story, especially well, by the time the action really starts. And it's interesting because from what I read about the Krakauer book, that he um, sort of talks about, like, not lays the blame at, but like definitely you know, brings up the rivalry between these two companies yeah. as a thing that helped contribute to the deaths because they were trying to best each other and trying to maybe push things a little too far and, like, brought too many people up at the same time and didn't want to, like, you know, space themselves out. So they bottlenecked at the one spot and yeah. all this stuff. And so there's definitely, in John Krakauer's book, more... I'll say blame, yeah, like left at the feet of both the Rob Hall character, Jason Clark, and Scott Fisher, uh, who is Gyllenhaal, yeah. for being reckless, being sort of like this kind of problematic male, you know, drive to, and it's like, it's not all men, like, uh, uh, what's her name, the, uh, Yasuko uh, mm-hmm. Namba, Namba, who's the, um, the uh, head climbed six of the seven major peaks in the world, and this was her seventh, and she made it as soon as, I will say... That was the one where the score really, like, cheated a little bit. And as soon as Jason Clark's like, I'm so proud of you. You did this. And, like, I'm like, oh, she's toast. She she's not going to make toast. it. Because the, the one of the things that I liked best about this, and I thought was so terrifying, is John Hawke's character and Martin Henderson's character. Both of those characters essentially just, like, fall slash stumble down the oh, like yeah. or jump down oh, the mountain. and God. both of those things happen without any like musical sting to it yep. like all of a sudden hawks is in the background of a shot and you know something's going to happen cuz they close up on him unhooking his carabiner or whatever mm-hmm. but he's like you can't tell whether he's got like mountain madness or he just doesn't quite know where he is and he's trying to like call to to Jason Clark and he's behind him and he's sort of trying to grasp at the rope and then he just falls and he's mm-hmm. gone. And Martin Henderson does the thing that Elizabeth Debicki warned about is like some mm-hmm. people have, you know, uh, tried to take off all their clothes because they think it's too hot or whatever. And Henderson does that, like takes his jacket off or whatever and then like just sort of slips and falls and he's and then he's gone. And like there's mm-hmm. nothing. There's it's no look really over the side. Awful. It's just so sudden and so blunt and it's really... I think very effective, those two parts. And didn't make you sit there thinking, Jesus Christ, why would anybody ever do this? <laughs> I'm saying. I'm saying. Mountain like, madness, same thing as festival fever. So it's like uh, <laughs> al- the altitude sickness is exactly what happens at the Telluride Film Festival. Yeah, Everyone yeah, yeah. 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 But no John Hawke's character salad. could not stop raving about me and Earl and the Dying Girl. I don't understand it, but like <laughs> he was really into that movie. So there is a massive storm. Your wife. Oh, no. All right, climbers, come back down to base camp for a second. We're going to take a break from our Everest talk. Uh, uh, Katie's going to take a bathroom break or something. I don't know. Katie's not here with us. We're recording this several weeks later. Um, we're here for... <laughs> like our... a whole month later, basically. Truthfully, yes. Um, we're here for our Vulture Fantasy Movie League update for the week. Um Still waiting for the awards portion of the year to kick in. The Gotham Awards will be given out on November 27th. That'll be the next thing, the Independent Spirit Awards, not long after that. But for now, we are dealing with box office. I will say, Chris, starting the league earlier this year and 
box office being a little bit more, I think by the time we started last year, the only movies that really had any box office impact at all were, it was literally, I think there were literally like five movies at all that made any kind of points box office wise because of the lateness of the way we started and the thresholds that Mm -hmm. we had set. It was like Avatar and Black Panther. And then like, um, was the David Harbour movie called Violent Night? Yes, because that was like a dollar buy or something last year. And that movie made like a little bit of money over the threshold, but nobody picked it because who would pick it for, you know, a thing where you get points for awards. So it was very, very two-dimensional. It was very limited. This season, I will say, I'm really enjoying the multi-dimensionality of the box office stuff because right now you're seeing a lot of people who kind of rocketed to the top of the standings on the backs of having multiples of The Exorcist and Saw Saw X and... Um, do people call it Saw X or Saw Ten? It's one of those things where I realize I've only ever seen it in print. And, like, I'm just... Saw X makes more sense, right? You say I Saw X to me, and, you know, it's... it's I don't know. It's... That that movie title, whatever, that movie's existence is like, you know, dogs not being able to hear a certain sure. whistle. I don't acknowledge that. I don't endorse. I don't acknowledge everybody doing Saw rewatches this year to go see that movie. I'm like, these are all bad movies. Projects are anyway, fun. Keep Projects going. are fun. Um, but then you get something like Five Nights at Freddy's, which I think has made enough money to offset the idea that like well this is just sort of empty calories this movie's not going to be anything once the awards start kicking in i think something like five nights at freddy's has made enough money so far do you know what i mean where uh where it's starting to matter and like taylor swift's uh the eras tour is another one where it's like it's made enough money so far that it's really impacting what the the standings are now and i think the standings will be going forward i no longer think that box office i went for a zero box office strategy for my roster and i'm now thinking i probably made a mistake that i should have drafted taylor or five nights at freddy's or something even something like killers of the flower moon which killers of the flower moon which is going to be like probably in the top five scorsese grocers by the end of the day i think yeah i was gonna say by the end of today by the end of its run it'll probably be in the top like Two or three, right? No, I don't think that movie has a chance at hitting a hundred. But like What's all the of the third, Scorsese though? movies that have made a hundred million dollars are very recent. It's it's the three Leos, I believe, are the only Scorsese's that have passed. Which is million. Shutter Island, um, The Departed, Departed, and Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, Wolf of Wall Street. I forget that one, right? But still, yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be right up there. Um, we are dealing with the most lucrative Sofia Coppola movie since uh, since Lost in Translation in general. But in some metrics, at all, this is the first time Sofia Coppola's ever showed up in the top five of a box office ever, and she's done it two weekends in a row now. Um, the holdovers in Limited is off to a good start. Um, you know, so it's there's potential it's, there for box office points in the long game. I think, like, I don't know if it's ever going to be right. busting the bank. We're also you know, unfortunately, on a weekend chart, but I think over yeah. time, like, that's a movie that'll probably still be in theaters through January. You know, of you know, yeah. modest audiences still going to see it. We have probably, unfortunately, passed the era of the Oscar nominations giving box office boosts to movies. I think the studios have. Even like the indies studios and, and even the major studios have just decided that those movies, by the time Oscar nominations come out, 
will probably be on VOD and they'll be trying to recoup their their money that way. I don't think we're going to we're ever going to see again the idea of a movie getting a bump from, you know, advertisements that say nominated for eight Academy Awards or something like that, which is too right, bad. right, right, right. Um, but anyway, so last week's big news was that the Marvels completely bombed, which do your little dance, Chris, that the that the MCU finally um crashed and burned i will (laughs) i'm not doing a little dance about it if anything like the marvels is probably more of what i would want of the mcu that it's like not so reliant on though i mean i guess it is and it isn't because it's so reliant on knowledge of the tv shows which is i think a huge part of why it's not so successful but like everybody i've talked to that's seen it feels like the movie feels more like one-off like it's not so hugely connected to some giant narrative and like it's, that is more of what I want. It's also just, I think it's a fun, you know, action. Like the action scenes, I think, are really largely well done. I think the character dynamics between the three leads are really fun. I think, yes, the more that I sort of hear people talk about it, I do like there, there is backstory there that comes from. WandaVision and Ms. Marvel and and that kind of thing. So, yes. I, I think in general, though, I think it's one of those things where box office isn't in, in an indicator of a movie. Like, a box office opening weekend is not an indicator of a movie's quality. It can't be. You know what I mean? People haven't right. seen it yet. What it is, though, is it's the Marvels had to reap the rewards or the, whatever, the punishments of your love and thunders, your quantum manias, your movies yeah. that people did go see and were disappointed by and, and general fatigue. And like, it's sort of a perfect storm. And it's also like not to lean on it too heavily, but it is the idea that like, there is a not insignificant portion of the comic book movie watching audience who feel like resentful towards a movie with three female leads right. and a black female director, and they feel like, you know, Marvel's too woke and yada, 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 which I don't want to give those people more credit than they deserve, but there is, you know, it's an element that you see. Keep to the point where, like, I'm walking out of the theater. Never let them go to a movie ever again anyway. <laughs> oh, right. Um, but anyway, so the Marvel's is kind of cratering, but coming along up, uh, you know, the next weekend is the idea that maybe, you know, the idea that franchises should be allowed to just sort of die is going to get a little bit of pushback because, to my great surprise, this Hunger Games prequel is not only tracking pretty well, but the reviews have been way better than I thought Mm -hmm. it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Like, from people who I would have never expected to be sort of, you know, soft on on this kind of a movie. So it's not like it's coming from just like the usual sycophantic, you know, uh, reaction press or whatever. I will say, I think some of that is diminished expectations, severely diminished expectations. Certainly. Cause I currently am reading the hunger games, colon, the ballad of Jack and Diane. And it is, <laughs> you're reading the book. Very oh, okay. boring. Yeah. <laughs> I find it so boring. I can't even like pick it back up because I would much rather listen to like Barbara audiobook. We can't get into that yet. Um, we'll get into it at some point. Listeners. Uh, oh, we sure will. We'll um, the 
Uh, I guess I'm not super surprised that it's doing well. Or it is a Francis are... Lawrence movie, and Francis Lawrence knows how to make these movies. Sure. Good. You sure, know what I mean? Sure. Like, for as much as Mockingjay was whatever, like, Catching Fire, I think, was a great, you know, a great version of a Hunger Games movie. And yeah, yeah. Having rewatched these movies for no good goddamn reason, Catching <laughs> yeah, Fire is Yeah, you're making fun the of the best. Saw people, and here you are rewatching all the Hunger Gameses. <laughs> the Hunger Games is at least have a bona fide movie star at the head of it. Very like, good. Okay, fair. Sorry, sorry um, uh, Costas Mandalore or uh, or uh, Shawnee Smith. You're getting catching strays from Chris Pine. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is is uh, looking like at least the story on this one is going to be well. There's a there's. Uh, a possibility that it could have a little bit of legs on good word of mouth from critics. You imagine, you know, audiences may follow suit and people seem to like our, uh, our benediction pal, Tom Blythe. Uh, He seems to be getting a lot of uh, red carpet attention, which is good. Wearing a tank top, apparently. The Zoomers love their Rachel Zegler, as, uh, as, as you well know. Um, it's got a star from Euphoria in there, which all things that to be successful among the youth, you have to have someone from Euphoria. That is the new rule. <laughs> so um, uh, good, good on Hunter Schaefer for for bringing their uh, their magical Euphoria dust and sprinkling it all over. Uh, I the think the I think the magical Euphoria dust is ketamine. <laughs> right. Uh, right. I have right. seen enough episodes of Euphoria to know that the magical Euphoria dust is ketamine. Right. Okay. Uh, what a stressful show. Okay, I do want to loop back. If we're talking box office points this week, yeah. I do want to loop back a little bit to the Marvels and point yeah. out that the death like bells that are being rung for the MCU right now in terms of people are like, this is going to be the first Marvel movie to not make $100 million. Yeah. A lot of that, and it's also Disney... A lot of like that kind of reporting happened after the first weekend of Elemental this summer because it made mm-hmm. like this shocking opening for a Pixar movie. Right. I think it was some, it was like twenty eight or twenty seven million the week that it opened, and it legged out to a hundred and fifty million dollar opening. And I think that is probably hundred fifty billion dollar total. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, just domestic, and I think that that is the to me the likely future for the marvels because like the way disney contracts work these movies stay in theaters for a long time and i think people over like you know the holidays will be there will be people that show up to these movies this movie listen the theaters theaters. can only keep wonka out of so many rooms so you you gotta you gotta give wonka its space to spread its (sighs) wings i don't i don't want to my transition into being fully fully pro wonka has been a delightful you have wonka poptimism i have very much wonka poptimism i do i will i will fully admit um, which is funny because I'm not a Paddington person, so it's not like and I don't you're know. not a you're not you like Timothy Chalamet, but I oh think, I'm a Chalamet person. I yeah. think Chalamet poptimism annoys you sometimes. Well, it's 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 it has the flavor of a lot of this sort of like you know I don't know the way that that social media treats this sort of cadre of like adorable uh, boy kings. Um, sure. Maybe without you're ever not having optimist, seen the king. you're a pop. Tart. 
How how would I say pessimist with pop in it? You're not a poptimist. You're a <laughs> I'm a poptimist. That just sounds like poptimist. <laughs> let's move on. Let's let's please let's please move on. Let's move on to the uh, all of us Gary's league uh, uh, sub league in the movie fantasy league this year. Our all of us Gary's update is we should have a fake sponsor like this week's all of us Gary's update brought to you by. Red Robin or something like that. You know what I mean? Just, just <laughs> someone sponsor us. I've already bought a new mattress, so I can't. No mattress companies are allowed to sponsor us now that I've shelled out for a mattress. But um, maybe we can make fun of it and say that we're sponsored by BetterHelp uh, <laughs> because every podcast is sponsored. What if we just like say we're sponsored by Bomba Socks until they send us some Bomba Socks, like something? <laughs> like give us, <laughs> give us something. All right. Anyway, we have so these are your updated scores in the uh, all of us Gary's league as of last week because you're hearing this after the uh, weekend of the 18th and 19th uh, box office has all been added. So whatever, there's nothing we can do about that. Um, the top scorer currently in the Alvis Gary's league is a team called Mart 1655, who is currently in the top 35 overall. Go fucking Gary's. We're going to, hell yeah, we are going to support each other. We are a supportive fandom. So I want to read Mart's... We will, by the end of the season, get a Gary in at least, I think, the top 10 of the entire game. I will say, Chris, your um, your Bet Noir uh, Rogowski crop top stand is in the top three of the All of Us Gary's League. Your, uh, your stalking horse. Um... Are, are you standing me because my name is Rogowski crop top, or are you standing the crop top? I hope it's the crop top you're standing. I think we all stand that crop top. Um, classic I mean... midriff cinema passages... Um, uh, anyway, so Mart's team. All right, let's talk about this. This is a, I think, a pretty well balanced team. Past Lives, Killers of the Flower Moon, Poor Things, Showing Up, Five Nights at Freddy's, Anatomy of a Fall, The Boy and the Heron, Taylor Swift, The Heiress Tour. So let's talk about this for a second. No Barbie and no Oppenheimer, which concerns me some. Because I do think there is a version of this award season that becomes just Barbie and Oppenheimer volleying back and forth everything almost you know what i mean i'm um, skeptical about that talk talk to me about that then briefly we're 15 i don't know i just i think there's a lot more happening than those two movies still and i i okay. question i i kind of question the idea of oppenheimer being like the one but i also question i'm questioning the that industry more and more. taking barbie seriously enough see I'm questioning the Oppenheimer thing a little bit more than I used to, but it's because I think, oh, Barbie could win it all. So oh. <laughs> I don't. I, I, I think there's a lot of other things that are majorly in play, which like Mart 1655's group has, like Killers of the Flower Moon, Poor Things. I think the I I think there is a tendency to write the season as done and for Oppenheimer that I'm seeing a lot of that I'm like especially because the strike kind of delaying the season this season is not is like But I think that plays into it literally even more. Just beginning. I think the strike going so long really helped to calcify this year as the Barbenheimer year and I think that's going to be I just like I could be wrong. We'll see how it goes. Um I think something like the holdovers, though, I think could be a thing. Mm -hmm. Killers of the Flower Moon, I'm always skeptical under my new Scorsese Spielberg theory that neither one of them is ever going to win Best Picture again. Um, right. But like, I, th I don't think Killers of the Flower Moon will goose egg like too big. 
I uh, hope Martin not. Scorsese movies have. It shouldn't. I hope not. But, you know, a lot but of season to be had. Would lo- Like, Poor Things is a fantastic wild card in this award season. Poor mm-hmm. Things could do... And, like, could run the gamut of, of outcomes, which I'm totally excited about. Past Lives, we are waiting for the Past Lives Second Wind to show up. They are very strategically uh, waiting on that. I think A24 knows how to play this kind of thing. I have, you know, faith in them. So um, I'm waiting to see what Past Lives does after the new year. Um and then I think something like Anatomy of a Fall is a good mid-tier that's going to rack up some nominations and that's going to rack up some awards. Same thing with Boy and the Heron. I think Boy and the Heron is going to show up in a lot of different places. And then you've you Mark picked the two correct box office movies, right? The mm-hmm. Five Nights at Freddy's and Taylor Swift the Heiress Tour in terms of like cheapy cheapies that are making big time money. So um even something like My Beloved Wonka, which is going to make $500 million, you had to pay a lot for that. So, relatively speaking, compared to Taylor and Five Nights at Freddy's. So, um, good job. Good job, by Joe Mark. is already in the tank for the Wonka Cinematic Universe. He is first in line for Wonka The Way of Chocolate. The Wonkas is going gonna, is gonna to really test the market's uh, ability when it's Willy Wonka, um, teen, teen Wonka, and Wonka's... Um, a nephew who is the same age as Wonka. That's going to be... Gonna be <laughs> I do think we have another box office success laying in wait. No, I'm not talking about Aquaman. I think especially... <laughs> I mean, Aquaman everybody kind do... of expected the first Aquaman to fail. So, uh, you know, caveat to that, but I don't Everything think things are going to look good has for been Aquaman. flop-op-opping, so we'll see. I do think that especially now that you know, you've seen all of these reactions from people, even though we have heard a lot of eh stuff in advance about it. I think that the color purple really has the chance to be a box office hit. So I mean, I see... kind of felt that there was always that potential, but did you see Dave Carger's tweet? No. What did he say? Dave Carger tweeted after seeing the color purple screened in Los Angeles this week. Um, the uh, Dave Carger, formerly of Entertainment Weekly, now of TCM. Um, tweeted, and he was like, he, he kind of like, he didn't quite yada yada over the movie, but he like beelined to complimenting Danielle Brooks. He was like, the thing mm-hmm. to talk about is Danielle Brooks. And in fact, wait, I have, I know I can find it really quickly, so I'll find the tweet. Um, But I was like, I thought that was notable because A, we've been trying to figure out who of Danielle or Taraji would be the supporting actress play. But also, okay, so here's Dave Carger's tweet from having seen The Color Purple. Just watch The Color Purple, and there's so much to admire. Admire? Notice. Admire is not always a word you want to have. Admire is always a a, a, a little a bit of a flag. word at uh, this so, time in the season. So much to admire, from the costumes to the choreography to the fantastic cast. But for me, it is all about this phenomenal performance. Bravo, Danielle Brooks. So A, I think the supporting actress field that is right now, I think, the most... Uh, without a headliner now maybe has a headliner in Danielle mm-hmm. Brooks but also that to me says the color purple might be just a Danielle Brooks awards vehicle maybe maybe I don't know I've been there's an original song in there so I oh, would sure. expect it to oh, show up there but I just uh, mean in terms of like the... at like bare minimum yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but I think it, it's uh you know it's to not mention office. Fantasia at all in your tweet. A lot of people are not mentioning Fantasia. It's very weird because yeah. I remember when she – I mean, I, I read her uh, her profile. Uh, was it Variety that did all those? Um, 
and like she talks about it as like a hard experience to do the show on the stage. But I remember when she did it on Broadway and got raves for yes. it. So yeah. it's like it yeah. is surprising to not see. And I think some of that has to do with the approach for the movie, which. Well, I also we'll feel like. Cynthia Revo in the Broadway revival, I think, upped the game on raves mm-hmm. of of the performance of that role is the other thing. Yeah. But anyway, we'll have more opportunity to talk about the color purple as the season goes on. I wanted to shout out one more name who's in the top ten of the All of Us Garys League, which is uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth place is a team called Andrew Hay, which I'm a simple, <laughs> I'm a man of simple tastes and simple pleasures. And that to me, we have some good names, totally. Uh, we uh, do. Totally I throughout. also wanted to, uh, it, it's fun when there's movement on the All of Us Gary's board because we do get to see the other fun names. Yes. I do think Mojo Dojo Eras Tour I like is that very a lot. funny. It's very clever. I like it a lot. So we'll definitely keep shouting out more team names um, as we go along. I love charting the Gary's League. Also, Shout out to a friend of the podcast and all-around rad person, Clay Keller, uh, currently still leading the Podcasters League, so gotta love that. Um, What else is going on? Shout out to Rebecca Alter for leading the Vulture Staff League as well. Um, I'm not going to look and see, Chris, who among you and I are, are are ahead, because we have only, we haven't even begun to to amass our points so we will we will be competitive with each other later i feel like we are both uh among the bottom of the podcast that's i was trying to avoid saying that christopher but not it's totally fine because the game has only just begun and box office is not not part of either of our strategies marathon not a sprint all right um all right chris i think that's probably good for us and we will return you to that dangerous, dangerous mountaintop uh, and Everest, and uh, we'll get back to Katie. All right. Oh, no. All right. Let's talk about the casting, though, because, Chris, you bring up the idea that, like, these are very kind of thin constructions of the mountain climbers, at least. Or maybe yes. you feel everybody. I think in the setup leading up to their actual climb of Everest, I had trouble distinguishing them just on a character level. And then once they're on the mountain and they're spending most of the time covered in all this yeah. gear, it yeah. was snowy really beards. hard. That yeah. part's hard. It's it hard is. to tell these people apart to the point that like fundamentally I could not tell who was who because even with like, you know what Josh Brolin's voice sounds like, but there's all these sound effects of wind and yeah. You know, yeah. all of that, that like I had, I, I, I know I sound maybe a little stupid for this, but like, I no, could not tell who anyone There were a couple times where place. I thought Sam Worthington had gone up the mountain to like rescue somebody, even though I know that like time right. doesn't work like that. I mean, but like, and then it turns out to just be like Martin Henderson or something like that. The so. presence of Sam Worthington as like the guy who's on a different mountain nearby yes. and yes. then comes to their mountain. Well, like the number I get that of it's separate- real life. It's just so confusing. The like, number why, of like, separate expeditions, separate camps, separate <laughs> mountains. Like, it's a lot going on. There's it's so many people on. up there where they should not be. Go yeah. home. This is not sustainable for human life, even for a half an hour. <laughs> Go home. And this is why I think the movie improves in its final half, where it just narrows things down to... These are the people who are freezing yeah, yeah. to death. These are the people back at camp. This is Emily Watson struggling to hold it together as she's on the phone with Keira Knightley. You mentioned this, Katie, though. This is the 
wife on the phoniest movie. Oh of my god, all yes. time. Even like Emily Watson's on the phone. phone all the time. Like she's Emily not a Watson's wife. not even anybody's she's wife, a, and she's, she's on a walkie talkie all the phone. Sam Worthington's a wife on the phone in this movie. Like it's amazing. <laughs> and yeah, and, and like look, Robin Wright, like God love her, she's doing great. She wife on phone does the work in this one. She's just like, <laughs> I'll get him. Hold on, her I'm Texas on the phone. Accent is great. It is. Like, it's great. Really good. And her and then hair she immediately has this whole like. Uh, fucking like country club ladies group worth of people calling the embassy <laughs> in Kathmandu or whatever and it's incredible she like mobilizes meanwhile I, Mia Goth's doing nothing just sitting on that couch Yeah, like yeah, sorry I, that you're 10 Mia Goth but like <laughs> Christ I feel like it is good and right to complain about when roles for women in these movies are limited yes. to wife on phone. But like, yes. they, it's it's the the wives on the phone get their moments. Like, I, Kara Knightley is really do. good in this movie, and like, I don't think we realized that then that like she didn't have that many movies left to like. She's not in movies very much at all anymore. And what is we, what is the explanation for that? Do we have any idea? I sure wish I knew. I have I no idea. I like, always get trepidatious when I hear about that because it's just like, oh God, she did make a bunch of like Weinstein Company movies. She was like, in Boston Strangler this year. That is true. That she's is a true. parent now, though, right? She could be. Yeah, she on had that, she had a kid. Like, and you know, she's not forty, but like, she's gotten older. I don't know. Like, probably all the same horrible bullshit reasons that we hear about. But this I is the one thing. Think a that, lot like, of her movies, like that she makes, she's been yeah. in the unfortunate position that they don't like happen like yeah. she was in that movie official secrets that what it you was like a up. sundance movie that was like released by ifc right before the festival so like oh, truly yeah, not sure a real movie was. this is the one advantage that athletics has over the movies in that like in sports if somebody retires they like have a press conference and they say <laughs> i'm retiring and then they're retired and in movies but then it's like four back. years later and you're just like wait a second this person hasn't been in a movie in four years are they retired <laughs> and yeah. you might not ever know and oftentimes they lie which also in sports that happens too because Tom Brady lies, but you know. Yeah, the, I remember thinking about this when Darkest Hour came out. Um, I guess that was twenty seven, seventeen. Yeah. Um, and it's Lily James who's like the secretary, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Which is just a real Karen Knightley role. And I was yes. like, Joe Wright, like, what? Like, did you and Kara break up? What happened? Right, uh, right. Because yeah, felt like Joe that, Wright, like, make another Karen Knightley movie. We I need know. another. Well, I don't. Like, he's not. He's not really done great by um shit. Not Haley Atwell. Who's his wife? Um, the other one. The other Haley Bennett. Haley Bennett, yeah, like it's not. Oh, I didn't realize they were married. Yeah. Well, they had a kid. Um, okay. But like, it's not like, yeah. like Cyrano didn't work out great for either of them, so maybe Kira can explore sure. options. I love Joe Listen, Wright to I'm the not, end. To be clear, I'm not giving but, up on Joe Wright, and neither are you, Katie. No, we are, absolutely not. We, absolutely we are, not. We are the Thelma and Louise and Louise's friend of Joe Wright. <laughs> the, the three fuck? of us are in a car. Am I just Harvey Keitel? You're I the car. Stood by You're the Joe car. Wright. I You're am the, the one who's been like, we should do the soloist. Like, I am the only oh, one shit. that claims you the soloist the as soloist. a Joe Wright. Venture. That's true. I've never even seen the soloist. You count more. I You're did better. not like it much, but that was before I became a Joe Wright diehard. So who knows? There you yeah. Go. yeah, yeah, yeah. I said Thelma and Louise and Louise's friend. I can be Louise's <laughs> friend. It's fine. You're, um, they decided to bring Brad Pitt with them and keep the yeah. money. And you... Oh, fine. I'll be Brad Pitt and Thelma and Louise. <laughs> like, twist my arm. Okay. If you insist. Um, all right. Favorite performance among this cast? Emily Watson. Me too. I was going to say Jason Clark, but we'll we'll get to the Jason Clark moment. Let's talk about Emily Watson. How do we feel about 
Jason Clark's character being a little bit haloed in this movie compared to maybe in real life where he compared was maybe... to Jake Gyllenhaal. Like I think Jake Gyllenhaal, right. really Gyllenhaal gets, gets to be like the it. bad guy and, and, yeah. and Clark's the good guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, for a second, it made me wonder, is it because they needed the participation of these people's families to make this movie? But then that doesn't really make any sense. Cause you would need Scott Fisher's family's participation too. Yeah. Uh, well, like, it's not like he does anything like Scott Fisher. He doesn't. It, it implies he dies cause he's trying to help people too much. And he just runs out of energy. Energy. But right. I think with Rob Hall, you've got that phone call. Like that really happened. And if you're going to yes. build to that, I think you're going to get that halo. That's with the it thing. You want to have that hit. be your main character, your 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 sort of hero. Yeah. I think I think a more I say this a day and a half after seeing Killers of the Flower Moon, where I'm like, how is this movie about like toxic male, you know, uh, drive to success or whatever? And it's just like it's not hard it to should make. Should be more about it. Probably it might well, be a probably better that's at least like. I say that this movie has a major problem because it doesn't answer the fundamental question of why do you do something like this? Because it's there! They Ex- say it themselves. Well, but like... Then but Michael Kelly also, movie, as Krakauer like says... The Krakauer story, it at yeah. least has like a theme to hang its head sure. on, you know? Like... Yeah. Well, and you even have the Krakauer character in this when they do the joke about like because it's there. He's like, yeah, but like that's not a real reason. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then you know Namba says, you know, well, I've done six of the seven peaks, and he's like, that's not even a real reason. Like the question <laughs> is, why do you want to climb the peaks to begin with? And yeah. they don't really have an answer beyond just like there are some people who want to prove something to themselves prove something to the people in their life or they're rich enough to say that they've done it who have all the money in the world and still feel empty I mean you think about like Lost, Lost City of Zed which doesn't answer this question either but I think it under it, it gets into why you would do this and not have an answer for it right like I think you right, watch yeah. that movie and you're like these men are doing something completely insane but you understand the culture that gets them to that point the war trauma all of this stuff and this right. movie it just isn't the movie that's going to take the time to get into that it probably right. would be better if it did right even if um, it gave us like a corny answer like that because I don't think it really even gives us the answer of because it's there you know it's just hmm. Well, and like, and I think that maybe gets to a little bit, Chris, your thing about the characters where it's just like, what do we know about Brolin's character? He's Texas. His character is Texas. <laughs> and like, John Hawks' character is like, I'm the nice everyman. And yeah. Um, and then you, and then it gets sort of a little bit flimmy. Like, what do we know about the Martin Henderson Jason character? Jason Clark runs this outfit. Like, He's right. the nice man. He's picking up trash that other people left there. He cares There's, about that's a whole this. thing apparently that like yeah. people are saying that they should ban uh, oxygen bottles. Uh, they should ban uh, uh, bottles of supplemental oxygen because they think a it might dissuade some of the more amateur people from trying to climb it in the first place. That like mm-hmm. they're essentially that was one of. John Krakauer's main conclusions coming away from that is that like these commercial expeditions made it 
made people who probably shouldn't have been trying to climb Everest try yeah. to climb Everest. And yeah. so and so there is this movement or was or whatever, I do not keep up on these trends, um, to essentially be like, uh, you shouldn't have bottled oxygen because it would then like narrow the range of people who could attempt this yep. to the most, like the best of the best. And then also you wouldn't have what they do have now, which is like a bunch of litter up on Everest and being mm-hmm. like, like, like it's, you know, whatever the, it's not quite the garbage patch in the ocean kind of a thing, but it's just like, why is there fucking litter up on Everest? You know? Yep. Well, you know God. Um, all right. You guys are going to talk about Emily Watson though. Oh yeah. Chris, talk about Emily Watson. Cause I already talked a little bit about it. A great actor who, as we kind of hinted at earlier, has not really gotten her due since her Oscar nominations and like, just doesn't really get the roles, but like, Katie, you mentioned she is wife on phone without being anyone's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel those like... Those scenes, though, are, like, incredibly affecting. Like, every single time she starts very to break affecting. into tears, I'm. it's so moving because it's not only just, like, sad. Sometimes tears are just supposed to communicate, like, feel sad now. But it's also, like, it's this frustration. It's this sort of, like, this moment that I had always sort of feared about you know, mm-hmm. now is actually happening. And now it's my responsibility to be the go-between between my friend and business partner who is dying and we can't do anything to help him. And his wife, who is also my friend, who is like pregnant at home. And like, she has to be the one to like put the phones together yeah. and like make them talk. It's, it's heartbreaking. And that's the most emotional complexity we get in the whole 100%. Movie. And I think yeah. Emily Watson does a great, job of showing all of the nuances of that type of situation and like I think her and Kira Knightley if this movie is emotionally effective in any way or just like you know at least cashes the checks that it writes it's because of the two of them um, see I think that sells Jason Clark short and like his end of that deal because I feel like he really what what I like about his performance is what it carries about that emotion, and not just in the end parts of it, but kind of the like the idea of like mm-hmm. being dedicated to something, wanting to take care of the people who are in his charge. Like I feel like yes. you get why he's doing it, even if you don't get why on a fundamental how, how happy he is for the other people, Everest. how much he wants yeah. to like yeah. help them. Like it is it is the that most is true. It's the most charitable way of it's not charitable, I guess. It's that makes it seem like it's false, but like it's the most sort of generous way of viewing why these people do it or why mm-hmm. Jason Clark would would embark upon this business because there's a way to look at him the way you look at Hall's character which is this you're in this for the glory mm-hmm. you're you know you're trying to be number 1 and with Clark's character Clark gets to show that other side which is that like I am somebody who is sort of helping facilitate these people be better than they ever hoped they could be and whatever, and, like, which is a corny notion, true. but like you can buy it. So mm-hmm. um, also, I want to say shout out to Elizabeth Debicki for doing one of my favorite things that people can do in movies, especially <laughs> movies like this, which is pro- project uh, professional competence at the best level is where like, <laughs> I know that she knows, she knows her information down. And so they mentioned this is her first time up on the mountain. Is she filling in for Kira Knightley? Because you get the sense that Kira Knightley is usually on these oh. expeditions. Oh, 
and she can't because Keira Knightley's like I'm so far away I can't do anything and you get the yeah. sense that she's only home because she's pregnant and then they yeah. mention that it's Debicki's first time but like I don't know if if Kira's character was a was a medical professional like Debicki uh, I don't is, know but either you get the sense I... that she certainly climbs the mountains yes yeah 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 <laughs> I had maybe more to say about Elizabeth Debicki's one scene in this movie than I had in any scene of the movie. First of all, Jason Clark is taller than Elizabeth Debicki. How fucking tall is Jason Clark? <laughs> <laughs> he's got the boots with the spikes on it, though. She doesn't like. He's got to have oh, those like right. boots with the with the, the, boots. the ice. <laughs> The, the boots ice boots. With the spikes. Is that like with apple bottom spikes. jeans, boots with the spikes? <laughs> apple bottom jeans, boots with the spikes. Kieran <laughs> uh, Knightley's character is a doctor. Uh, I'm on her. She's okay, currently so the clinical director at the Nelson Center. My Health theory Clinic. is my theory is playing out. Okay, so there we go. All right. Also, um, she basically explains how you do everything on Everest and everything they need to look out. She is playing. She Elizabeth Debicki, star of Tenet is doing the Clements Posey in Tenet thing. <laughs> <laughs> of being like, don't worry about it. It's just Everest. Just like go up and like, don't think about it. Just go. Maybe that Elizabeth was Elizabeth Debicki was the first moment of shock though of I didn't know this person was in it. And uh-huh. I was like yelling, Elizabeth Debicki at my she, TV. She doesn't Five really minutes later, look Mia like Goff herself. Shows up. It's weird. Where are we in Elizabeth Debicki at this point? This is two That's years a after great Gatsby. Question. It's but two years she, after Gatsby, and that was the first thing I had ever seen her in. I think she's it was the first thing almost and everyone had seen her in. Um, yeah. She, yeah. She's amazing at Gatsby. Gatsby what Gatsby. Um, yeah, Gatsby's apparently the only other thing she had been in was something called A Few Best Men, starring Xavier Samuel. Um, <laughs> that seems like something you would watch. It does, kind of. Um, <laughs> derogatory. Drag. <laughs> Drag him. She's this apparently is also lady... the same year as Man from Uncle, so Man from Uncle would have been right, a month or two right before, before this. Movie. Yeah, she's she's great in Man from Uncle. So is everybody. Every like whatever. Sorry, we can't talk about Army Hammer anymore. But like Henry Cavill's great. Alicia Vikander's great. I loved a Man from Uncle. Um, Man from Uncle rules. She's also apparently Lady Macduff in the Justin Kurtzel, uh Macbeth that happens that year. The one that same with year. Marion Cotillard. Marion yeah. Cotillard and Michael oh. Fassbender. Um, uh, who is Lady Macduff? Macduff is Sean Harris. She's she's Lady Macduff yeah, to Sean Harris's Macduff. That's interesting. So she really was doing just like tiny parts after Gatsby for some reason. Yeah, I assume yeah, yeah. because every leading man in Hollywood was like, absolutely not. She's too tall. She's because <laughs> like, like isn't she's... Henry Ca- like, Army Hammer's a giant? Henry Cavill's a giant. Like yep. they yep. they can pull- Jason Clark's a giant, I guess. Tom Cruise has a picture of her in the casting office for Mission Impossible being like, absolutely under no circumstances. Um, We cannot allow this to happen. However, Um, coming up, much as I hate Ty West's ex and Pearl. Speaking of Mia Goth. She is going to be in Maxine as a porn director, apparently. I'm burnt out on that Maxine. Yeah, I'm burnt out on that, but like, I guess I will I, for that. I hate those movies. I don't expect to like Maxine, but if Debicki's in it doing a thing, also yeah. as a pair of LA, as a pair of LAPD detectives, Bobby Cannavale and Michelle Monaghan, which is like an interesting okay <laughs> pairing of detectives. It's going like, to be okay. Ty West, True Detective, right? Right. Um, uh, Michelle Monaghan was in True Detective, but just not as a as, not as a cop. All right. Um. I want to talk briefly, before I get into the game, I want to talk about Baltazar Cormacor, who 
from all indications, is just a weird Icelandic, like, Rumpelstiltskin type character. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin. Uh, explain. <laughs> I don't know. Like, all of his that. movies just sound like... I don't know. Maybe it's my my sort Joe of will thing be writing the GQ profile of Balthazar Collins. <laughs> Scandinavian <laughs> directors, but like, um, I don't know. Like, maybe it's the fact that after Everest, he does Adrift and Beast, and so it's all of these like, let me just like set human beings in like these like horrible uh, uh, conditions and stuff. He also a directed a show that... called Trapped. In addition to yes. Adrift. I mean, it all seems of a part, right? <laughs> um, he had done a movie called The Deep uh, in 2012 that got shortlisted for the Oscar. Then that one is uh, about a fisherman who survived in the freezing ocean after his boat capsized off the south coast of Iceland. So, like, Baltazar Kormakor seems like a guy who has a maybe similar fixations <laughs> to... Uh, the characters in Everest, where he's just like fascinated by these situations where people have to survive. He's a, he directs a movie called The Sea, um, that is about a family who lives by the. I guess if you're from Iceland, maybe you're just like everything has to do with water because there's <laughs> you're never too far from the ocean. So maybe that's a thing. Um, I realized in preparing for this episode that I had been confusing Baltasar Kromakor with Timur Bekmembetov, uh -huh. the uh -huh. Russian director of Who did Wanted? Wanted and yeah. Abraham Lincoln uh, Vampire Hunter. Yep, yep, yep. Easy to do. Easy to do. Um, uh, I was confusing him with uh, Roar Utag, the director of the Norwegian title wave movie, The Wave. Which the I Wave. I was I was going to bring up The Wave, too, because The Wave, uh, wave is, is not dissimilar. I liked... That's a movie I saw in Toronto, in fact, The Wave. Um, that's a movie that has so much stuff about fjords, you would not believe it. Like, there's so... <laughs> you really learn a lot about fjords. Um, Everest also, though, co-scripted by Simon Beaufoy, who I think probably brings the most, like, Oscar buzz cachet mm -hmm. with him to this movie. Mm -hmm. He was a three-time Oscar nominee by this point. He was the writer of The Full Monty and Slumdog Millionaire, and he was also nominated for 127 Hours, which, looking back on 127 Hours, I still kind of stick up for that James Franco nomination. I think Franco is actually really good in that movie. It's the screenplay nomination and and the, pic the picture nomination that I'm sort of like, I don't know, seem a little bit curious. The extreme Slumdog uh, Halo nomination. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. Absolutely. I guess he also did the screenplay for Battle of the Sexes, though. And I did enjoy that one. So Good movie. Good for Simon Beaufoy. He also wrote Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day. Okay. Okay, Ooh, Simon He Beaufoy. wrote You guys the... done Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day? That feels no, like a real would love to. contender could here. should, yeah. We, I, we haven't done many Frances McDormand movies, I don't think. Well, she doesn't make that many movies, and a lot of them get Oscar nominations. And I was going to exactly. say, she's got a good batting average, yeah. Uh, we did Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, though, which is a Simon Beaufoy oh, adaptation. Is Simon so. Beaufoy one of the credits, credited screenwriters on the second Hunger Games Movies, yes, the best Hunger Games movie. He is Catching wow. Fire. It's him I and Michael. You're a Hunger Games kid. Man. I'm not really. I mean, Chris like, just I read rewatched them. Yeah, you I just rewatched re them, and I finished Mockingjay Part Two, and I was like, "Why did I do this?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> excellent question, Chris. Why did you do that? <laughs> those those last two movies are 
just not good movies and not satisfying yeah. in I'm any sure way. I'm sure I saw them, but I don't remember. They're on the TV books. all the time, so I do kind of like come upon them a lot, but like I don't think I've watched a full Hunger Games movie since I saw the last one. In I will absolutely two never are just like this is for teens. What? Yeah. Like, they get oh, it's really very violent. Grim. It's very grim. It's very violent. Um, all true. But like people didn't like the last book. Like that's the thing is right. that was one where like the first movie I think came out before the last book came out. I think. Yeah. And no, people were so no. excited. No, it was it was close, but I don't think so because I definitely okay. read the whole series before the first movie. Okay, but I remember people not liking Mockingjay the book, or at least no. like starting to like uh, you know pipe up about. Not being satisfied with it. Okay, I want to talk about Jason Clark. So before we do, we're going to play our game because I, I don't want to get into the Jason Clark filmography before. Um, I didn't look up his IMDb because I had a hunch. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so um, obviously, Katie, you talked about how some of the impetus for covering Everest in this episode is that Jason Clark sort of has some similarities with the kinds of actors we've done quizzes about before. We started with our... Garrett Hedlund or Charlie Hunnam quiz. Then we moved into what was it? It was Donald Gleason. It was Jack O'Connell and Jack Rayner. Josh O'Connor, right? (laughs) Jack O'Connell and Josh O'Connor was in our Money Monster episode. Yeah, our About Time episode was um, uh, Donald Gleason and Ben Wishaw. Right, right. That would make that sense. one feels too easy to me now in retrospect. That's nothing. And then last time we Jack. did Sienna Miller, my our Sienna Miller face blindness quiz. Yes, yeah, Sienna, Sienna Miller or anyone else. Yeah. So I was trying to like. Obviously, Jason Clark is the kind of character actor who has been in so many different things that he's the perfect person to do a quiz for. And so I was trying to think who can I put up against Jason Clark that has that same kind of vibe where it's like beardy. Not always beardy, but like emotionally, you always sort of think he's got a beard, even when mm-hmm. he doesn't have a beard, right? He's kind of, um, he's not always playing the heavy, but he plays the heavy a lot. He's not always in like a government job, but he feels like spiritually, like, you know, he's in a lot of government jobs. And so I landed on Joel Edgerton. And okay. so I'm like, yes, this will uh-huh. be a really good, this like, is not nice. They're both Australian. <laughs> They're both like, you know, they they run in the same circles. And I'm like, that fits, yes, technically. But like, is it worthy of Katie's sixth time on the podcast? And so I thought, <laughs> no, let's kick it up a notch. And so the Uh-oh. game that I have for you guys is Jason Clark or some other Australian. And so what we have here is Jason Clark up against the bevy of Australian character actor, sort of mid-level, you know, uh, 40-ish, you know, uh, 30s to 40s kind of a um, uh, range. And... Again, they're all in very similar kinds of movies. I think, I believe in you guys. I believe you can do this. I'm I wonder out... if our Australia episode is going to turn out to have been valuable prep for this. Well, <laughs> preparing for this and also preparing for Australia episode, my mind really was like crossing the streams in some very crucial <laughs> um, ways. Are the Kiwi accents in Everest any good? I feel like Australia scrambled my antenna enough. Well, that's the really other know. thing is the characters in, in Everest are all, are a lot of them are from New Zealand. Yeah, so like, I think their accents were pretty and good. I, I don't and 
and I made especially sure not to confuse the two in preparation for this because I don't want to get yelled at. I really want to be like good about this kind of thing. So if there are cases where somebody's an Australian, but I need to like you know explain it, then I will do it. But um, are we ready to do Jason Clark or some other Australian? We're gonna try. All right, Katie, as your as our guest, you get the choice of going first or second. I'll go first. All right. So the thing is, the question is, when I read the role, you will tell me, is it Jason Clark or some other Australian? That'll be for one point. Okay. The second point will come is if you can name, if it is another Australian, you can name the other Australian. Okay. And if you can't, the other person then gets a chance to steal that point by naming the Australian. Yeah, okay. I think I think we did a similar format for Sienna Miller, and we, we decided did do not to do stealing as an option. And this time, we're doing stealing as an option. We'll do stealing as an option. Yeah. All right. Uh, so wait, Katie, did you say you do want to go first? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. To begin, as John Connor, the assumed savior of humanity in Terminator Genesis, <sighs> Jason be- Clark or some other Australian. I never saw Terminator Genesis, but I do think that is Jason Clark. It is Jason Clark for okay. one point. Very good. Okay. Chris, as Howard Bondurant, the eldest of oh a trio of bootlegging brothers in Lawless. Ooh, that is Jason Clark. It is Jason Clark. Yes. All right, very good, Chris. Katie, as John Red Hamilton, an associate of wanted criminal John Dillinger in Public Enemies. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, I think that is not Jason Clark. It is Jason oh, Clark. Oh, wow. That's early for him. It is. It's early, but it is Jason Clark. Okay. All right. Back to Chris. As Lewis Creed, a greeting, grieving father who makes the bad decision to bury his dead son in the haunted Pet Cemetery in the 2019 remake of Pet Cemetery. That is Jason Clark. It is Jason Clark. All right. Point for Chris. Back to Katie. As Patrick Grayston, a SEAL Team 6 leader in Zero Dark Thirty. I mean, I don't remember who he is in Zero Dark Thirty, but he is in Zero Dark Thirty. So I'm assuming you're not being mean to me, and it is Jason Clark. It is not Jason Clark. Damn, damn it! That is so rude! <laughs> that is Chris, really rude! Is this with Joel Edgerton? Oh, sorry, did I ruin it? Chris, you get a chance to guess who it is. That is... No, that's not Joel Edgerton, because Joel Edgerton is in the... Joel Edgerton is in the team that kills uh, Bin Laden. So that's some other Australian. (laughs) Yeah, but that point is gone. You've got to name the person who it is. So it's... Ben Mendelsohn? Incorrect. It is Joel Edgerton. All right. <laughs> what the fuck? He's in SEAL Team 6. SEAL Team 6 was Jason the... Clark is kind of more of a suit in Zero Dark Thirty, right? All right. Chris's question. No, at... Jason, Jason Clark is the uh, uh, torturer in the first act of the movie. Oh, God. I haven't seen that movie since 2012. All right. Chris's turn. As Dan Fuller, a CIA intelligence officer in Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> that, is so, that, that is Jason Clark. That is Jason Clark. All right, right. I'm going to learn my lesson about crosstalk. That's so rude. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it zipped, you guys. All right. Katie, as Neil Fletcher, station manager who plans to take faraway downs from Lady Sarah Ashley in Australia. That is not Jason Clark. Who? Yes, who is it? Oh, God damn it. Uh, No, it's not. His name's not Hugh because that's, uh, I don't remember. I wish I could remember his name. I don't. 
All right, Chris, you get the steal. It is David Wenham. David Wenham. Yes. Okay. Uh, Chris, as Nick Cassidy, the man on a ledge in Man on a Ledge. (laughs) That is some other Australian. It is Sam Worthington. Some other Australian. It's Sam Worthington. Two points for Chris. I should mention Sam Worthington has English parents and he was born in England, but he was raised in Australia. So there we go. Much like Nicole Kidman, who was Mm -hmm. born in Hawaii. Yep. Katie, as the Sheriff of Nottingham in the Taron Edgerton starring Robin Hood. Oh. I was going to go all Russell Crowe, but that's a different Robin Hood entirely. And he was actually Robin Hood. Uh, I believe that is some other Australian. It is some other Australian. One point. <sighs> what? Is that one Ben Mendelsohn? It is Ben Mendelsohn. Hey! Katie gets two points. Well done. <laughs> all right. Chris. As Aaron Sherritt, an informant on the Kelly gang in the 2003 film Ned Kelly. That is some other Australian. It's Heath Ledger. It's some other Australian. It is not Heath Ledger. It is baby Joel Edgerton. Oh, Oh, shit. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Would you have gotten that? (laughs) I mean, honestly, Joel Edgerton really just is kind of the default. But no, I'm sorry. I screwed that up. God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're all learning. We're all living and learning. It's fine. Uh, Katie, right? Okay. Yeah. As Eric, a violent and bitter former soldier in a lawless world 10 years after societal collapse in the Rover. Ooh. That's uh, one of those dark Australian ones. Uh, Is that Justin Cartel? I think that's some other Australian. It is some other Australian. Okay. Do you know Uh, whom? The Rover. Uh, I don't want to guess Ben Mendelsohn again, but it's someone who's like scruffy. Uh, Guy Pierce. It is Guy Pierce. Oh my God. Ooh, That's that incredible. <laughs> well done. I had him in the back of my mind, but I didn't That's think that was so good. Be there. Oh my God. All right. Chris, as Clark, the Australian second husband of Leslie Mann's character in Funny People. That is some other Australian. That is Eric Bana. It is Eric Bana. Very good. Two points for Chris. That's good enough. Katie. As Emil Stenz, the ex-Delta Force, Delta Force operative who leads a group of mercenaries in infiltrating and taking over the White House in White House Down. Oh, that is some other Australian. It is not some other Australian. Oh, it is Jason Clark. I love White House Down. I can't believe I forgot he was in it. I know. All right, Chris. As Kale Garrity, one half of a bohemian-seeming tourist couple in Hawaii who come under suspicion for murder in A Perfect Getaway. Uh, that is some other Australian. That is also Sam Worthington. It is not Sam Worthington. Katie, can you It's Chris Hemsworth. It is Chris Hemsworth. (laughs) That's immediately pre-Marvel, Chris Hemsworth. Yep, yep. My beloved A Perfect Getaway, Katie. Very well done. All right. Katie, as Christian Thompson, the seemingly dreamy writer who has the scoop on Miranda Priestley being replaced by Jacqueline Follet in The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> There's no way that's Jason Clark. That has to be some other Australian. It is some other Australian. A dreamy Australian from 2006 who I doubt is a Hemsworth. I don't not remember this character in the movie at all. I'm honestly imagining Ben Barnes, who I know is not Australian, so I'm like not going to let myself say him. Uh, let's say that's Joel Edgerton. It's not. Chris, can you steal? It is Simon Baker. It oh, is Simon Baker. Oh, God. He's one of those faces that I'm just never going to nail. 
All right, Chris, we'll do yours and then we'll do a score break. Uh, Chris, as Sir John Falstaff, pale to young Prince Hale, Timmy Chalamet, and the King. That is some other Australian. That is Ben Mendelsohn. It's not Ben Mendelsohn. Ooh. Katie. That was going to be steal? my guess, too. Uh, I'm going back to my pal, Joel Edgerton. It is Joel Edgerton. Yay! Very good. <laughs> All right. So after that question, the scores are Chris with 12 and Katie with nine. So, okay. Katie, you've got some catching up to do, okay. but you can do it. All right. Um, so that was Chris's question. That was Chris's question. Yeah. Katie. Yes. As Mr. Bucket, Charlie's father in Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, that has to be some other Australian. It is some other Australian. God, Mr. Bucket? He's not even in the Gene Wilder version. I literally don't think he exists in the Gene Wilder version. Maybe no. he does. I think, no, he doesn't? He's not in the Gene Wilder version. Okay. Uh, let's say this guy Pierce again. Uh, it is not Guy Pierce. Chris, can you steal? I know that this is like a name person. I just can't think of what male Australian that would be. Uh, uh, also Guy Pierce. No, not Guy Pierce. Uh, Noah Taylor. Actually, oh, right. That, who was that born in London to sense. Australian parents and then moved to Australia at age five. So there we go. Yeah, those um, travelers. So this is Chris. Chris. As Arthur Coates, a war photographer in Vietnam in the greatest beer run ever. Uh, that is some other Australian. That's Russell Crowe. It is Russell Crowe. Very uh, good. Two points. Never saw that movie, but I did. Not. Nor did I. I did not remember him being in that. I didn't see it uh, either. Uh, Russell Crowe, who I didn't realize was born in New Zealand and moved to Australia at age oh. four. There you go. Interesting. Uh, all right, Katie. As Carl Henderson, one half of a husband and wife pair of serial killers in The Devil All the Time. Oh, now I remember what The Devil All the Time is. Let's just say that's Jason Clark. It is Jason Clark. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Chris, um, as the voice of Metalbeak, King of the Pure Ones in Legends of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul. <laughs> Oh my god. Matt um, Damon on a plane right now screaming at the Guardians of <laughs> Legend. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna say that it's Jason Clark. It is not Jason Clark. Uh, uh Katie, do you know who it is? Uh it's Russell Crowe. I don't know. It's it's not famous. Russell Crowe. Okay. All right, it is Joel Edgerton. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Katie. Katie, as okay. the voice of Digger, a burrowing owl in Legends of the Guardians, the no. Owls of Gahul. <laughs> We're going to get every Guardian of Gahul. <laughs> How about this one is some other Australian? It is some other Australian. Okay. I, you know, I've been waiting to guess Hugo Weaving. Is it Hugo Weaving? It is not Hugo Weaving. Okay. Okay. All right. Chris. So Chris, was that... Who started with who? Oh, yeah, Chris can steal if he knows who. Is okay. This, this is Jason Clark. <laughs> it is not Jason Clark. So uh, this is David Wenham. Oh, um, there he's good. So this is back to Chris. Yes. Yes. As the voice of Ezelrib of Kiel, a retired soldier and screech owl in Legends of the I'm Guardians, the you. Owls of Gahul. <laughs> Is this Jason Clark? It is not Jason Clark. <laughs> Jesus, one of these is going to be Jason Katie, Clark. Katie, can you guess who it is? 
Oh, I feel like I'm running out of Australians. Mel Gibson. Not Mel Gibson. <laughs> it is Jeffrey Rush, Academy Award Jeffrey winner. Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey oh. Rush. Yeah. All right, oh Katie. Oh, God, yeah. As the voice of Twilight, a great gray owl in Legends of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. <laughs> is it Jason Clark or some other Australian? I'm sorry, Chris, this setting me off. <laughs> Can this one be Russell Crowe? <laughs> it's not Russell Crowe. It is not uh, uh, Jason Clark, so you do get a point for that. Okay. Um, but it's not Russell Crowe. Chris, can you steal? Oh, my God. Is it Hugh Jackman? It is not Hugh Jackman. Ooh, All right. This one goes to Chris. Wait, who was it? Who was it? Was it oh, Jason sorry. Park? It was Anthony La- Anthony LaPaglia. Uh, um, right. So this goes to Chris. As the voice of the Easter Bunny in Rise of the Guardians. Oh. That is Hugh Jackman. That is Hugh Jackman. Wow. So two points to Chris. Uh, oh, Katie. Lord. Mm-hmm. As the voice of Boron, a snowy owl, and the king of Gahul in Legends of the Guardians, <laughs> the Owls of Gahul. <laughs> king of the Owls sounds like a big part, so I'm just going to go back to Russell Crowe. Uh, it's not Russell Crowe, but you get a point for knowing it's not Jason Clark. Oh my God. Uh, Chris, can you steal? Australian actors. We've already had LaPaglia, Wenham, and. Yep. Joel Edgerton. And Jeffrey Rush. And Jeffrey Rush. And Hugh Jackman as Easter Bunny. Oh, Oh. you mean in this one movie? Yes. And Katie just said Mel Gibson. No, No, I just said Russell Crowe. But she she guessed Mel Gibson before for somebody else. Then I'm going to say Mel Gibson. (laughs) It's not Mel Gibson. It is Richard Roxburgh. Oh! Uh, uh, And then Chris... The final question, as the voice of Alomir, a great gray owl and a spy from Metalbeak in Legends of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. Jason Clark. It is not Jason Clark. Katie, would you like to steal? Um, is this one Hugh Jackman? It's not. It's actually Sam Neill, but Sam Neill is from New Zealand, and that is the end of our game. Jason Clark or some other Australian. You've outdone yourself, sir. You are a menace. You... <laughs> Need to be uh, institutionalized. Ended up pretty close. Chris wins it 16 to 14. But congratulations, Chris. You are our winner. I I feel especially uh, like I've uh, accomplished something considering I got zero Gahool points. I I'm, I'm, I li- I genuinely went into this game with intentions pure of heart, and then I went to go pick somebody from Owls of Gahul, and I was like, is everybody in this movie Australian? And yes, basically yes. So uh, Hugo Weaving is also a voice in Owls of Gahul, and I had to take that one out when I found out that he has... He was I couldn't, born I, in I couldn't, Nigeria. I'm on his Wikipedia Born in Nigeria. He lived in England and South Africa and all sorts of other places. But so. he has worked his entire career in Australia. I know, that's the thing. He's worked almost entire. I probably could have done it, but I just didn't want to get yelled at from anybody. So. <laughs> now I'm going to get yelled at from Australians who are like, we claim him. Like, <laughs> they should. He's a treasure. They should. They should. They absolutely should. Listen, if you were in Priscilla, Queen of, the, Queen of the Desert, you're Australian. Sorry, Terrence Stamp, but it's true. Um, <laughs> do we want to talk about survival movies in the Oscars? Because I feel Ooh. like this is an interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like... Because I was trying to think, like, oh, is this, like, a well that the Oscars go to very often? And I was like, not really. Like, I guess 127 hours. But then I was thinking, I'm like, Disaster movies are a different thing. 
No, it's, it's not quite a disaster movie. And it's like, some of these are sort of like, I, I included, I made a little list and I included things like Wild, which isn't quite true. She's not like trapped in the wild or lost in the wild. But like, yeah. she is sort of surviving on her own for a while. But like, Castaway is like this. Life of Pi is like this. Um, Into the Wild is like this, which is another John Krakauer uh, book turned into a movie. Um, and then stuff that hasn't been nominated, but like All is Lost is clearly, mm-hmm. you know, like this, where he's lost at sea, unbroken. They spend so much of that movie with those soldiers, pilots, Did whatever, Did Unbroken lost get at one sea. of those rando single Oscar nominations? Or was it yeah. Deacons, yes, Roger Deakins. That's right. Mm. That's right. Um, I included The Edge because they are like, it's a plane crash and they survived and then there's a bear. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, this year, fun. there's Society of the Snow mm-hmm. as the... Oh, the J.A. Uh, Bayona one? Mm-hmm, the Spanish yep. Submission. Uh, which is the Netflix. same story as Alive, which was also a movie. I thought I had put mm-hmm. it on this list, but yeah. It's the it's the soccer team, or the rugby team that was crashed in the Andes Mountains. Um, the Mountain Between Us, we talk about all the time. Fuck Dude, Mountain. Did they fuck um, on that mountain? Yeah. Uh, which we got to do at some point. We got to do Fuck Mountain. I would love um, to do an episode just so I can see Fuck Mountain. And we've talked about Free Solo, obviously, which is a documentary. But there have been other documentaries. I feel like there was another one fairly recently that that was on the short list but didn't make it. Right, a couple years ago. What am? Uh, was it there one um, about the Thai soccer team? That is it. The Ron Howard movie, but it's the oh well. Yes, version? the Ron Howard. Yes, that, the that's... same director says Free Solo. Yeah, and there's also right. Nyad this also year, Nyad. which is half that sports one? movie, half survival movie. Yeah. Oh, does she get like lost at sea? Is that a thing? So she gets stung by a bunch of jellyfish. I think. Yeah, yeah, she gets like stung by jellyfish on the face. It's damn. It, it's equal survivor movie and sport movie, I would say. What I think is interesting is some of these movies, when they do get nominated, they are sort of like acting showcases because you are essentially yeah. a lot of these ones are like it's just you and the elements. It's just Tom Hanks and a volleyball. It's just jo- James Franco and you know a rock and whatever. And then sometimes, in the case of like Life of Pi it's everything else gets nominated and they sort of ignore the actor in it. And I don't know. It's just, I, uh, uh, what do you guys have any thoughts about this? This is as a genre. Is this a genre that you sort of go for? It don't feels- go for? Do we see why the Oscars like it? I mean, it feels like the Oscars can like it when it's trying to like take that extra step toward meaning mm-hmm. like we were talking about, the, which Everest does not do because it's so easy right. to do kind of do the opposite version. I mean, I, I don't know if you really want to count this, but like I saw the Poseidon Adventure for the first time, like not that long ah, ago. Mm-hmm. And that's like sure. survival that's like really, really corny, but also just has like just enough of a layer of meaning <laughs> on top of it. To and that was during the era rate. where they were nominating a lot of those, dis- like the Towering Inferno. Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Airport. Mm-hmm. Airport. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, most of I also I thought of seen. The Perfect Storm. Which I uh-huh. think was a visual effects nominee, but beyond that, that's nothing. another one where it's just like there are people on the boat, and then there are the people in the like radio uh, room back at home trying. Master Antonio, Mary Elizabeth, and it's somebody else too. Is like a, it's not Cherry Jones, D- but it's like Diane Lane is, I believe, Mark Wahlberg's wife. Right. I want to. I feel like that's a cast where it's like there are probably people in that movie who I didn't um, realize were. People like I bet you Becky Ann Baker's in that movie. Like I will like <laughs> bet money that Becky Ann Baker's in that movie. Do you want to know what's a real like? I don't think this you could qualify it as Oscar buzz, but real Everest style movie from the same period, The Finest Hours. 
Oh, the, sure. Uh, like, sure, sure, sure. Not quite the perfect storm. Chris Fisherman. Pine, right? Chris yeah. Pine, Pine, Casey Affleck, Ben Foster, Eric Bana, John Magaro's in there. Mm-hmm, uh, absolutely. It is. I Eric I, Bana I in that movie, movie could have been. I could have used him, his character in that for the game instead of his uh, his funny people <laughs> character. I don't know uh, if I would have remembered st- he was in it as much as I like it. No, it's true. Uh, the perfect storm is Clooney, Wahlberg, John C. Riley. Diane Lane, who is Wahlberg's wife, girlfriend. Um, William Fickner, John Hawks. So I was there's say, I thought John Hawks was in that. Mary Elizabeth Mestrantonio, Karen Allen is a is a crew member on a different boat. Bob Gunton, who is one movie away from being a six timer, um, <laughs> that will be our weirdest six timers club. I can't wait. Christopher McDonald, Dash Mahawk, who is in uh, The Day After Tomorrow, which is another sort of. That's more disaster than yeah. than survival, but still. Michael Ironside, Cherry Jones is in this movie. Oh my god, amazing! She's a, <laughs> she's on a boat. Um, uh, no, Becky Ann Baker. I am frankly galled at that. Outrage. Like, that's outrageous. Um, I would say yeah. to the to your comment about a lot of these movies seeming like acting showcases. I think a lot of that is because and like. It, Life of Pi being maybe the most successful of them, interestingly, I think qualifies for what I'm about to say. Um, a lot of them maybe feel that way because they were shot on sites. Like I'm thinking of something like Wild Castaway was mm-hmm. shot on an island, but then they break so that Tom Hanks can lose all of that weight, etc. Mm-hmm. Unbroken mm-hmm. is a movie where they lost all that weight too. Yeah. Um, they basically drown Robert Redford on screen in All is Lost. You know, it's the type of movies that, of course, Oscar always falls for this of like, look at how we suffered to make this we movie. We didn't put The Revenant on this list, but that's right up there, too. Oh, we totally could the have, Revenant. right? That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas Everest is one of the movies that wasn't as successful with Oscar, and Life of Pi mm-hmm. is like the opposite of this because. It was so obvious that, like, the survival elements were shot in a studio. Mm-hmm. Or on a computer. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Did you also notice, by the way, Katie, I'm sure you did, um, that this movie has a quasi uh, Kate Winslet comeback blowing the whistle moment where <laughs> they they the one guy comes back and he looks at everybody and he thinks everybody's dead and he grabs, like, the one person who seems like he's alive and then there's Josh Brolin who can't, like call out or anything but he's he's trying to get him to come back that's yeah. all i could think of was kate going come back, come back. <laughs> uh, titanic not a survivalist movie even though it has a uh, a scene of that obviously when they're all out in the water but yeah obviously yeah i think that fits into a titanic. different box do you think there is a world in which do you think there was a threshold at which Everest could have been so technically marvelous as like an IMAX spectacle to have demanded like Avatar style recognition. I mean that, that I think Avatar style is kind of your tip. Where like in the exact like dip between Avatars in terms of like mm-hmm. technical wizardry uh-huh. at the Oscars, um, and we're like well into the Marvel period. Like I'm trying to scroll down and see what actually did get nominated. I guess I, the Revenant did sort of take up that slot that year. Well, right? no, it was like, Mad this Max year it's took Mad Max Fury Road, I'm which just, is all oh, practical well, sure. for the most. Yes. Yeah, well, Mad there, Max there's digital elements lunch. to it, but like yeah. they were. That was thought of and rewarded for its practical effects. Yeah, but it it loses visual effects to Ex Machina, which is super cool. 
Like, One yeah. of my favorite Oscar wins of oh, the last yeah. ten, year, 10 years yeah. or so. What God, a great it's almost win. it's almost ten years ago now. It's like eight years ago. That's so the ex machina of visual effects team are some of the people who've let me hold their Oscars at the Vanity Fair Oscar party. Really? So they, oh yeah. If you stay get, late, it's always the like the crew, like the bloodline people who are there the latest and they're like oh, having a great that. time. They're like, You wanna hold my Oscar? Sure. And they're very like <laughs> careful about it, but like sure. they're very eager to share. So yeah. yeah thanks thanks good for, for those them. Guys. Oh, that's yeah. That's good cool. for them. Good people. Yeah. What is his next movie? What is Garland's next movie? He's doing like he's um, Civil War for A24. I presume will come out in 2024 because they shot it, like, I think a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Dunst is in it. And I don't think there's been really any other details. Though I heard a rumor that the movie has some, like, first-person shooter type cinematography in it which i hope is just a rumor and is not founded because no one wants that that sounds unpleasant yeah um kb specifically i wanted to ask you about this this uh going down the list of universal's other movies in 2015 reminded me that this was the summer that i covered for whoever was at comic-con that um (laughs) remember when i did like that's why i have my little like thank you note from graden carter because i like (laughs) spent a weekend or whatever a week covering news at vanity fair um and i remember one of the stories that year was how universal like owned the like first half of the year box office wise that there was a point where like yeah Six of the top ten at box office year to date was Universal stuff, where they had Furious Seven, and then Jurassic World was such a huge hit, and then uh, like Pitch Perfect Two and Straight Outta Compton mm-hmm. and Minions and all this sort of stuff. But wait, was it? Oh, the one, the one thing I thought of at the very beginning of the movie. So you have the Universal logo, right, which is the spinning globe, and I'm like, there is no excuse for this movie to not. To zoom not, in. To not have the globe. Well, the globe <laughs> never shows Everest. At any point, like, it's the half of the globe that's not Asia. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, get creative here, folks. Like, spin the globe a little bit more and then, like, zoom in on, you know, on your location, for Christ's sake. Like, do I have to do everything around here? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I do want to say that Everest uh, undergrows Jupiter Ascending in the U.S., which might not be the best um, okay, evidence fine. of yeah, its yeah. box office performance. So I guess this was sort of, I guess I, I maybe, we did we did the research, or I did the research for this in Australia at the same time. So maybe I'm thinking of Australia, where it's like, Australia was not the bomb that I remember it being. Um, maybe Everest was the bomb I remember it being. Um I do like the poster, I will say, which is um, the scariest part of the movie for me, which is the part where they just like lay this ladder, this like rickety ladder that looks like three ladders like tied together with shoelaces. Again, Um, why would you voluntarily do this? Over a crevasse into nothing. Like there is, they're essentially like, this crevasse is so deep that it is functionally bottomless. (laughs) They're like, if there is a bottom, it just, you'll be dead before you get to it. Um, and so it's this crevasse and this rickety ladder, and then below the person on the ladder is the descending list of your stars. So it's Clark, Brolin, um, it's Gyllenhaal gets the and or the mm-hmm. with? He gets, he gets the, the and. He gets the and, and okay. Uh, Clark, Brolin, Hawks, Wright, Watson, Knightley, Sam Worthington. It is funny to see that chunk of women's names in the middle of that poster. It's it like, is funny. Mm, don't go, don't go in there for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hope you're not a Kira Knightley stan going into this movie because you're not going to get very much. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I want to talk I about this movie opening Venice, which is why... Oh, yeah, bring up that Venice festival. Uh, while I bring that up, I, I feel like the second that it got booked as the Venice opener is when any type of Oscar buzz started for this movie, and sure. it yes. felt, even at the time, when people were predicting it, like, oh yeah, Everest, it's, it's opening Venice, so like that's like a thing to consider. It felt insane at the time. I remember being, when I was seeing that, I yeah. was like, sometimes that's not what this always means. <laughs> Listen to this jury, though. The main competition jury that year was jury president Alfonso Cuaron. Seems like he then, would like Everest. I'm just going to say. But it wasn't in competition, no, right? No, I know. It was I just, just like the, the dude opener. who made Gravity yes. really was who you wanted to see yeah. in this movie. Um, Elizabeth Banks, Diane Kruger, Emmanuel Carrera, Nuri Bilga Ceylon, Paul Pawlikowski, um, Francesco Munzi, uh, Hugh Hausen, and then Lynn Ramsey. So that's I, some like if they would have forced Hugh Hausen to watch this movie, I would have been appalled <laughs> on his behalf. <laughs> Do the people on the jury watch the like the can juries and stuff like that? Do they watch the movies that like open the festival because of like the ceremony of it all? Do they like bring the jury and like have them like stand up and take a bow did at the like the jury at least does the red carpet? Did they have to go mm-hmm. watch Scott Cooper's Black Mass, which also I'm saying Venice stuff like that, right? <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. Um, this is a good competition year, I will say. I th- more more or less like. I look at a bigger splash and I'm like, oh, maybe it's I'm just looking at a bigger splash. Yeah, maybe <laughs> not everything else is that great. Yeah, the Danish I girl's just a in there. Everyone loves What's that. that. Danish girl, we're all a big fan of that yeah. one. Danish girl, Beast of No Nation, Anomalisa. Yeah, maybe this is yeah. not my favorite. Yeah, okay. All right. But a bigger enough. splash rules. Yeah. Bigger, bigger splash does rule. Yeah. That would have been my golden lion. <laughs> Worthy <laughs> golden splash. lion, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, God, there's an Atomagoyan movie that I don't, uh, ironically called Remember. made like 30 movies you never, you never seen. That I don't remember. I think this is the one, Remember is the one I think with Christopher Plummer? It is, yes. There you go. Oh, this is the year of that, uh, movie Equals with Nicholas Holt and, uh, Oh, the Drake Doremus movie that I watched at TIFF. Yeah, they're like working in like a dystopian office, something? Yes, and it's about like... Clones or androids or yeah, something? Yeah, it's like an 1984 thing where they're like not supposed to have emotions. It's one of those love. things where it's like, it's the future, but in the future they've outlawed love. Yeah. Like that kind of a thing. Yeah, it's just like, that's... they've decided that love is a complication that the human race can do without, that's which a, is... That's, uh... that's a practical thing to try to eliminate <laughs> humanity. Yeah, exactly. But like so many of those are about that because then it's just like, oh, well now we have to fight for love. Yeah. Um, it's sort of, it's it's one click away from... The movies that are like, we should be together, except I can't go outside or else I'll die. Like that kind of thing. um, Which is like the most popular YA plot ever. Yeah. Um, Oh, wow. Guy Pierce and Jackie Weaver are both in that. Speaking of. Now, it's sort of that thing where you buy, you like... Your family, when you're a kid, your family gets a car, and then you look in, like, all the other cars. You, like, see that car everywhere. <laughs> After doing this last quiz, all, all I see are Australian there. actors everywhere. Where I'm just like, oh, they really are everywhere. You really they? couldn't okay. do a Jackie Weaver or other Australian, though, because there's only one Jackie Weaver. You cannot possibly forget. <laughs> all it would be it would be Stoker, and it would be, like, Phyllis Somerville and Jackie Weaver and, like, all of the, like, that's... 
Phyllis Somerville is not Australian to my knowledge, but she is sort of like I feel like they 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 could have played sisters out of a niche. They could have, yeah, exactly. Also, out of competition at this Venice is the Best Picture winner Spotlight and mm-hmm. uh, Frederick Weissman's in Jackson Heights. Oh, maybe my favorite of the Weissmans of the late stage Weissmans. Um, was also, Noah Baumbach's here. Brian De Palma documentary. Is that oh here? yeah, which is mm. it, it, it's literally like they set up a GoPro in front of Brian De Palma and said, talk, <laughs> and that's all the movie is. It's very entertaining, but it is not excellent. It is game. very entertaining. Um, God, Black Mass. Speaking of Joel Edgerton. I, that Black Mass is a movie I saw at Toronto, and I was like, yeah, I don't know, it's pretty good. And then everyone else was like, you moron. We're forgetting <laughs> this movie ever existed. I was like, right. <laughs> I, Was that... Had Scott Cooper, was that his next one after Crazy Heart, or had he already sort of fallen out of no, I think this was after Out of the, out of the Furnace. furnace. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which I was on board with Out of the Furnace. I tried to watch Out of the Furnace, and I had to stop watching Out of the Furnace. I, I was like, that is enough of that of for me. Out of the Furnace, uh, where they filmed it, where John Fetterman was mayor of the town where they filmed it back then. Uh, no so kidding. It was like a like wow. rusting out, rust belt town, and now now look where That feels like out. a very John Futterman movie, Fetterman. Oh, Futterman. yeah. I almost said John Futterman like Dan Futterman. Fetterman. <laughs> that movie like is a very like I'm gonna wear cargo shorts to work kind yeah, of yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think it's like yeah. very authentically made into town where John Fetterman was the mayor. Yeah, and, uh, yeah that makes sense. It has that, that going sense. for it. Maybe we, um, maybe we should do Black Mass next year. Oh no. <laughs> Katie, do not commit it. yourself if you don't Oh, Joel can we talk about... is in it. Just putting just pointing that out. Can we talk about uh Katie specifically to a thing that we have talked about in the past? Um in the scene in the medical tent. First of all, I love that scene in the medical tent because Elizabeth Debicki could not be less impressed with Josh Brolin like doing like mountain climbers <laughs> like mm-hmm. while he's waiting to be like checked or whatever. She's like, "Yes, we get it. You're very much in shape. Like, <laughs> calm down." John Hawks doing push-ups though. I was like, "Oh, mm-hmm. see, that's it's all perception, right? Because I'm, I'm literally like, get out of here, Josh Brolin. And I'm like, aw, John Hawks. Yeah. Um, but the song that's playing in that tent uh, while this is all happening, Cheryl Crow's All I Want to Do. Now, Cheryl <laughs> oh, no. Crow's All I Want to oh. Do was released two uh-huh. years before this movie takes place. So it is completely kosher. Completely makes completely sense. Completely and Katie and I are very much on the patrol of... I want the listeners to go see Saltburn and just bear in mind that it's supposed to be taking place in roughly June 2007 and hear the songs in it and ask yourself, did that song exist in June 2007? And then please report back. Did Superbad you exist know in a home this. video format in summer of 2007? <laughs> Surely it did not. So there we go. All right. Um... What else did we, what are our other stray thoughts about Everest that we want to get to before we get into the... Uh, the Frostbite sound effects when Josh Brolin uh, pulls himself out oh. of there. I had to look away. Oh. It was overwhelming. Yeah. It's really The part good. where they like dip his hands in oh. the warm water yeah. and I'm just like... <laughs> I know. It oh really, that's how you know that movie's getting to you. It's really effective. Meanwhile, I'm the person who like has to pick up ice cubes off the floor if they fall down or whatever. And I'm just like, ooh, cold. Ooh, you know what I mean? It's just like, I am not built <laughs> for that. Add that to mountain. the list of reasons you're not climbing Everest. You just can't touch not, ice. Nope. <laughs> I, had to, I had to one time unclog, you know how like next to the washing machine, like the, the water dumps out into a bit a basin? Do you sure. have one of those yeah, things yeah. or whatever? So that was clogged the one time and it was full of very cold water. And mm-hmm. I had to like really like just plunge my hands in and like figure out like what the situation was and so you basically have was... climbed Everest you've endured the worst of yeah. the thank the you thank you my and I just remember being like oh so this is like 
how cold your hands can get and like you don't like feel them for a second uh-huh, like that kind uh-huh. of thing it's just like oh you have to like shake them back into i'm a I was baby more imagining Listen. that it would just be gross like samara from the ring well it was also it gross. is you basically pull up like samara from the rings speaking entire, of like, martin anderson yeah. 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 Speaking of, yeah. Okay. Worst way to die. Martin Henderson getting uh, killed by Samara climbing through the TV screen at the end of the (laughs) ring or like falling off of the mountain. He's he's so crazy by that point. Yeah. yeah, He doesn't know what's happening to him. Like it's the John Hawks kind of like accidentally slipping that, although he's also Mm -hmm. not totally in his right mind. Right. They're both, they're both mountain crazy. Yeah. Freezing to death seems horrible and I don't want to do it but there's also some level of being like you don't really know what's happening to you by then well right at some point like you just sort of like you are you are faded out by by that point so they start ripping off their clothes and saying waves is gonna win best picture (laughs) 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 that was the okay I've talked about this maybe on the podcast before that was the best case I've ever seen of Festival Brain, where, like, that movie went through a hype cycle, a backlash cycle, and a backlash to the backlash cycle in the span of a day. Like, before TIFF was over. Yeah. It was like there was an early screening and a later screening, and it was like, and it was by the time we got through the end of the later screening, it had gone through an entire cycle. Yeah, I think I was in the earlier screening, and I saw it, I think I saw it with David Sims, who, like, at some point near the end, like, just let out this very loud sigh, and I was like, oh, thank God, okay, we're on the same page. (laughs) Like, I don't have to keep But some people were like, some people were like, waves, man. Like, it's going to have, like, it's it's major. I know. And I felt really bad because, like, those people, like, we got out of the screen and we were like, excuse me? And they were like, what? What? I didn't do anything. People were like, Frank Ocean gave his whole catalog to that movie and they ran with it. And it's just like, and the thing about waves is, that movie is two halves of a, of a movie, one of which I think is distinctly better than the other one. Yes. But also people couldn't agree with which half of the movie yeah. they liked the best. I wish I could like, I think the second half, half is a lot better than the first half, but like the first half had already lost me by then mostly. Right. So it's like... The second half is also like twice as long as it needs to be too so well that is also true but the second half has lucas hedges in a prominent role so right that's that. what's taylor russell the second is half good too. is like she i lucas love taylor hedges, russell taylor like, russell's fantastic in that that was that, that was the first thing i had seen her in i think right waves yeah. is the movie where like i've been told that kelvin harrison jr is going to be a big thing and i believe uh-huh. it we and always are told can that happen and i'm like i'm i'm waiting patiently to see what yeah. will make that feel true you know, you know what? That's not true. He's really good in the Trial of Chicago Seven. I'm sorry, he is. Wait, who is he in the Trial of the Chicago? He 7? is uh, Fred Hampton, and he's not in it for very long because he winds up going to jail. Um, and Kelvin Harrison. Yeah, Kelvin, Kelvin Harrison Jr. is Fred Hampton, and I'm on his Wikipedia page right now. Oh, wild! And he's I also thought that was. Sorry, go ahead. He's also really good in Elvis as BB King. I'm remembering that as well. That's true. I, I like Kelvin Harrison. Him I just think he's in okay. not great movies a lot of the time. Did anybody see Chevalier in this room? I did. Nope. It was the most roll out a TV on a cart for a fifth grade <laughs> social studies classroom movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I wasn't not entertained, but the anachronisms sure. in it were wild because it was trying to play it straight, but also talking out of the other side of its mouth. It and was trying, trying to, to play like it straight. Okay. Contemporary. Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. Um... I think we've talked about everybody. I'm glad also, Katie, that you mentioned Jake Gyllenhaal taking his shirt off on the mountain, which was, at the very least, like, Look, listen, he knows, thank, thank you for that. He knows who he's working with. Jake knows. <laughs> he does. He knows his audience. That's fine. We're all into it. And 
Yeah, works for me. Chris, anything? I keep starting to say Katie when I want to say Chris, and so it comes out like Karen, and it's just like, nope, that's not going to work. Like, <laughs> I don't know do either with my of us, that's her. Um, literally, why would you do this? No, seriously, I mean it. Why would you ever do this? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's all I have to say. Have any of you ever climbed a mountain, like, not not climbed a mountain, like, climbed a mountain wall, like a rock wall, and it, like a yeah. discovery zone kind of a thing? Yeah, like, even when, when I was 18, I was not strong enough to do it, and there's no way I could do it now. I've never, I've never tried that. It's never appealed to me, but I've also never tried it. So maybe I would discover something. But I'm also the person who, like, dreaded the day in gym where they broke out, like, the, the wall with the pegs that you had to try and climb up. Have you ever had Do you guys that? have a rope in gym class? No, we that didn't. was like a. Myth. That's why we did that. Thank we God didn't have we a had a that. rope, and the like. Thinking of that now, I'm breaking into hives. A because I couldn't do it, and I was like, they were like, if you just touch the rope, you get a C. I was like, great, bye. Um, but also <laughs> the idea of sending like a third grader up forty feet in the air on yes. a rope in a gym class. Yeah, I know. I was crazy. in cup. I was in Cub Scouts. I was in so. The middle stage between Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts is something called Weebelows, but nobody ever says Weebelows because it sounds like Weebelows. So I just say I was in Cub Scouts. But I was in, like, Tell us middle, school, middle school, junior high-ish or whatever. But I never, I did not advance to Boy Scouts. I did not want to do Boy Scouts. But so one of the things to, like, for your fitness merit badge was, and you're all, like, in, like, you're in your little pack, right? And essentially it's just, like, whatever, like, volunteer dad from the neighborhood wants to like put up with kids once a month or whatever. And so we're all in this guy's like basement or whatever, whatever. Don't make it weird. Um, (laughs) Who has like a, who has like a pull up bar. And so the activity is that everybody's got to do pull ups for their fitness merit badge. No. And so all of these people who are like, no sweat, just like pull ups and like seventh grade, which first of all, seventh graders shouldn't have the upper body strength to do pull ups. I'm sorry. And no. like everybody could. You're doing damage and like, to them. There am I, like a fucking leg of lamb in a butcher's window, just sort of like hang in there. And it's just not <laughs> happening for, for this guy whatsoever. <laughs> and I'm just hook. sort of like, and the, the absolute humiliation of me like dangling there, not moving long enough for the guy to be like, all right. <laughs> That's that's fine. Just like go and stand over there, and it's just like, oh man, you did it, kid. Can I? I didn't and I do thought it. that this would be a nice story. I was picturing little baby nope. Joe Reed as nope. like a Moonrise Kingdom child. Nope. Um, nope. Is it too late to throw out a real detour about an actor who's an Everest? Like, yes, no, do it. About uh, are we worried about Jake and the movies that he has and has not made over the last couple of years? All right, let's do it. Let's like, I'm pa- like, like uh, are you talking about Ambu Lans? Which I did not see, nor did I see Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, which came out. Okay, oh, that year. one made me worried. That made but me that people one made who me are worried. People who are not us liked Ambu Lans. more than we did, yes. and I, who did not like Ambu Lans, liked Jake in it. Okay, like okay. I thought he was good in it, but I, you're not wrong like, in that. He does seem like he's kind of losing his mind a little he's bit. He's in a Roadhouse remake that's coming out from Doug That he's, Lyman. like, getting weirdly, like, ripped for. Like, he's, like, he's, he's like doing the, these. It's got, like, an MMA theme. Oh, no, UFC. I don't remember. And he's, like, oh, living no. the gimmick. 
Yeah. There was the thing where for Everest, where there the one note that I read where like he and Brolin like started like climbing the mountains in Santa Monica, which first of all, the mountains in Santa Monica, <laughs> shut up. Um to prepare for this. But like he does seem to be the type to like get like remember when he did that boxing movie and he got all like veiny. Southpaw, same year as Everest. Oh god. And like we could do that for this podcast, but I don't wanna because no, like that movie I bummed never me saw out. That movie. Is He's doing Fuqua? the presumed innocent mini series. I just don't. I don't know. Jake. I don't know what we got going on, Jake. Like, I feel like he's got all the potential in the entire world to do whatever he wants. And when he's he got good, eight he's billion something. things on his IMDb that are in some level of sure. like post production, pre production, two guy Richie things in post production. Is that just like a staple for whatever the movie that was actually released? Yeah, like, it could be. Sometimes movies have multiple things on IMDb. He's, he's sketched. He's marked down to play the Robert Evans role in a project called Francis and the Godfather, which I imagine was a competing project to the um, one that was on there's no Paramount way. Plus. There's this no is absolutely not getting That Katie yeah. let me interview Matthew Good for, <laughs> um, which, was, which was very fun, except for the day of and the, like, getting the Zoom to work. Getting the Zoom to work to forever. Nightmare. He was very patient and lovely through the whole process. He was. Though. I loved him. Yeah. Yeah, he's... Okay, so this movie is only in pre-production, so, like, this is probably, like... Who does? And it's also a Barry Levinson joint, so nope. Whatever. We'll see it soon on HBO. Grain of salt, grain of salt, grain of salt. Nope. But it's Gyllenhaal as Robert Evans, Oscar Isaac Francis as Francis Ford Coppola, Al Fanning as Ali McGraw. Which, I don't know about Gyllenhaal, any of Al this. Fanning none feels of, like none of this feels right. No, this this Elizabeth Moss as Eleanor Coppola. That actually does like Elizabeth Moss as Eleanor Coppola. Like, do that movie where she like makes the documentary while they're filming <laughs> like uh, Apocalypse Now. Like, that's fine. Um, I don't know about any of this. Yeah. The last and I'm the person who like liked the Godfather TV show well enough, mostly because of Matthew Good as Robert Evans. That's what everybody so said. I still never watched it. The, the last time I saw Jake Gyllenhaal movies was in 2018 with Wildlife and the Sisters Brothers, a movie I love and nobody has ever seen. Uh, the Sisters Brothers is a good movie. I love that movie. Can I tell you what's not a good movie? Is The Guilty, the Netflix movie that he Horrid. made during Horrid. the one, the, the, the second pandemic tiff. The, um, the poster for it already is uh, really turning me off here. Bad movie, bad twist. The um, original was bad. He plays a super weirdo in Velvet Buzzsaw. Um We've been that talking is one a of lot those about Velvet like... Buzzsaw lately. <laughs> Have you guys talked about the Sundance video of him correcting the pronunciation of the director? Dan Gilroy? Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Uh, we have talked about that before, but not in... Uh, <laughs> there is also where I'm going to, yet again, tell people to go watch John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, where Jake Gyllenhaal plays a character named Mr. Music, who uh, <laughs> is out of his mind and who is like essentially like... Uh, Dis disassociating with his job. There is music here, music there, music, music everywhere. Use your ear, be aware, you're making music everywhere. When you tap a pen on a paperback book, not too loud, but you get the point. <laughs> Toss a dress shirt in a laundry sack. Subtle sound, let me find something else. Why are why are we getting more Jake, Jake like this? Like, why does this not happen in feature He's films? He's a weird person. Like, weird it's person. very like Oakja Jake. Like, if I feel like you could do a taxonomy of like the kinds of Jakes you're getting, where it's like masculine Jake and like weirdo Jake, Broadway Jake, and 
And like, and and every role goes to one side or the other, or if you're wildlife, plays with both of them mm-hmm. in a way that like wildlife. He's so good, yeah. terrific. Loved him in that. Oh, more of that. Yep. I will say, I didn't like the Spider-Man movie that he did, but I thought he was fun in it. Maybe there's there's too many of those that I'm naming because like Ambulance is the same way, where I'm just like didn't like the movie, but I liked him in it. So, I oh, I've still never seen that Spider-Man. I never did. It's the middle one. It's, I think, kind of boring. He's not in the but, one with um, all the Spider's Men, the last one? He's not in the one with all the Spider's Men. He's in, like, the very beginning, but it's just footage from the movie before it. Okay. Um, what is this movie, Prophet, where he plays somebody named John Prophet? <laughs> Fuck you, I'm a prophet. <laughs> Basically. No, Nothing else to it, just that. Film based on the comic book character John Prophet. Okay, well, there we go. Yeah, Jake, I don't know. What's, come, come back, back to us, Jake. Come back to us, Jake. Yeah. He's got, he come and Kira Knightley both have time to, to oh come Oh, my God. A Jake Gyllenhaal, Kira Knightley movie. Uh-huh. I would watch that. Anything. Yeah. Do anything. Come on, guys. Together with Joe Wright. Joe Wright, direct Kira Knightley and Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. and something. Yeah, done. Jake in a Joe Wright movie would be sensational. It really I think so. would be. I'd be into it. I'd be into it. All right. Um... All right, so if nothing else, we can move on to the IMDb game. Chris, why don't you list out the rules for the IMDb game? All right, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. Uh, If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or uh, non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles released here as a clue, and if that's not enough, it's just a free-for-all of hints. It is a free-for-all of hints. Um, Katie, as our guest, you get the choice to decide whether you want to go first or go last and which direction this little round robin should go in. Uh, I think I will go first, and I, I will give to Joe. And I okay. want to go first. So I... I will then give to Chris, and then Chris will give to you. Okay. I feel like I've chosen someone you guys might have done before, so I want to know ahead of time so I can regroup if needed. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so I was thinking about uh, Josh Brolin and also Venice premieres. So I started thinking about Dune. And uh, there are some excellent photos that we ran of Josh Brolin at Venice palling around with his Dune co-star, Oscar Isaac. Have you guys okay. done Oscar Isaac? Maybe not in a long time. Um, let me look. Yeah, not not since we would it would have changed. If you don't remember it, then it counts. Not since... Okay, you know what's funny? Um, we did it in the about time episode and it was uh, for me. So it's, there's every chance that you picked it back then That's really funny. for me. I wonder, but oh, I also, guess I did Star Wars to, from Donald Gleason. I have all, I have definitely already forgotten it. So if you want to still do it, I can. Done. If you want to pick somebody do else, it. you do can. Do it. Help. Okay. All right. Oscar Isaac. I mean, it's also very plausible that it's that that it's different than what it uh, was. Then. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna guess Inside Lewin Davis is one of them. Yes, indeed. Terrific. Okay. His best performance. Chris Files' favorite Cohen movie. Quite possibly. Quite wow. possibly. I'm gonna guess The Force Awakens. Wrong. Oh God! All right. So now I have to decide whether to guess another Star Wars movie or to move on. Tried not to torture you. I'm. Checked ahead. X Men Apocalypse? No, no, thank God. (laughs) 
How lucky really... is he that he had like weird makeup so nobody ever nobody remembers he was in that movie? Unfortunately, I will always remember that he was <laughs> in that because it was so bad. And, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> All right, so what are my years? Okay, your years are 2014, 2014, and 2017. And 2017 is The Last Jedi. Yes, that is the, that is okay. your Star Wars. Damn it. All right, two 2014s. A Most Violent Year? Yes, A Most Violent Year. Good call. And then the other one is... You know what? This IMDb date is like a slightly misleading, I'm realizing. Uh, oh, was it a movie that didn't really come out till 2015? Yes. The, in, to my memory, yes. Ex Machina. Yes. It played like Fantastic Fest Yeah, because we were just talking yeah. about it as a 2015 Oscar nominee. And then I was there like, wait go. a second. That doesn't make any sense. All right. uh, All yeah, right. well done. Okay, thank you. I definitely don't remember any of those. So uh, I did not kosher. assume you did. Um, Chris, for you... I went down the John Krakauer uh, rabbit hole of books of his that had been turned into movies, one of which was the 2007 movie Into the Wild, a movie that has a large and sprawling cast, many of whom we have done before. But the one we, or one of the ones that we haven't, at least, is Zach Galifianakis. Oh, wow. So your uh, challenge. in that movie. I remember that. Uh, he is good in that movie. A lot of people are good in that movie. I don't remember I liked, him in that movie. I, like I didn't movie. really care for that movie. He like, I like did a, care. He's like a I brain it. silo guy. No television, but one voice role. Oh, okay. Uh, the what is his voice? Mm. The Hangover's there. Yes. Is due date there? Yes. Okay. So you love your Todd Phillips, Zach Galifianakis <laughs> movies. There you go. <laughs> Um, is Birdman in there? Yes, three for I three. I really don't like Galifianakis, I so if I get a perfect score on Galifianakis, I did too. Forgot wow. he was in Birdman. Um, yeah. Birdman, I think, is one of those movies that does show up for everybody on the poster. Maybe not Emma Stone. I will say I don't always love Zach, uh, Zach Galifianakis' character, but when I do like him, I quite like him. Mm-hmm. He was in that movie with the kid from United States of Terra where they're in the uh, mental hospital oh, together. Yeah. And I thought, oh, yeah. Oh, right. Uh, it's, movie. it's kind of a funny story. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. The the voice performance, I remember not realize. I remember there's a movie that I didn't realize it was him until the end of it. That tends to be the Zach Galifianakis voice role, like yeah. wheelhouse. Yes. So I'm. I know I'm not going to get a perfect score, um, unless he did like a Minions movie. But I don't think he's known for Minions. It's not like Sausage Party. Um, is it? Unfortunately, you're getting zero hints because I know I, I'm <laughs> doing very well. I watch so a lot I, of animated movies as a parent, and I feel like I should know this, and I don't. I <laughs> uh, wonder if it's like Peter Rabbit or something. Uh, it feels like he would have to be a significant character for it to show up on his known for, or this is just an animated movie that has made quite a bit of money. Um I feel like maybe he was in like a raunchy, but what were the recent Pixar movies? Pixar movies tend to do decently well. I'll just say like Toy Story 4. 
Not Toy Story 4, but that's a very good guess. That um, does seem like the kind of thing he would be in. Yeah, like he would be a teddy bear or like a stuffed bunny in <laughs> Toy Story 4. Um, uh, what's another Pixar? Uh, f- Finding Dory. Not Finding Dory. Also so two strikes. Guess. So your missing year is 2017. Okay, so semi-recent. What were the animated movies that year? I will say, this is a movie I really like, but I do feel like it's fallen out of cultural memory. Mm-hmm. It was, It's related to a bigger thing that has also kind of fallen out of cultural memory, probably because its sequel was not good. Um, oh, we're going to fight with you about that. Oh, really? Oh, okay, interesting. Um, this is really not getting me there. But okay, so there was you're, you're a correct sequel in your to assumption, this movie. You're correct in your assumption that he's playing... A prominent character in the movie. Like, he is uh, essentially the main antagonist in this movie. Yeah. But is it is it like Despicable Me 2? No. It's not as... Like, go beyond the, like, the traditional animated... Uh, Stop motion. A little bit. No. I looked no, it up. Sorry. But, now I'm... I think... Yeah. Did you say the word spin-off of, already? No, but it is a spinoff of of a hit, of a big hit. Okay, so there is like an IP, so it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very not a much an IP. Multiple it's layers think, of IP. Think multiple layers of IP is exactly right. Yep. Was it originally sourced in like a video game? No. No, although there are video games for this IP, but the, the original yeah. thing is not a video game. The original product is not a okay. video game. It's not the Peanuts movie. No. no, you're thinking too close. Not, not not unclassy, but it's tough to to pin this down because it's a very specific cultural product. There really the first isn't any one other. Was an original song Oscar nominee? It was. Got it. And was surprisingly franchise. not an animated feature nominee. Is it Muppets yeah. Most Wanted? No. no, Muppets is not is not considered animated. Yeah, right. Yeah. But but it is a voice, voice. But it would be a yeah. voice. You're right. Yeah. Um, Although the celebrities tend you, to just play themselves in Muppet movies. You also would have told me it wasn't animated um yeah right. no it's definitely animated so the, yeah, the original nominee... let me try to figure out what the original okay. very original okay. ip is is it a video okay. game no no comic book no uh kind of oh well it's, well this is like the, the merging of two IPs. this is the, yeah the two layers of ip the second layer of ip is comic Jeez. book stuff but like the, 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 the main layer. layer is not is yeah. not comic book it's not the emoji. <laughs> no, but you're really you're getting. I'm somewhere. circling the 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 quality a type of thing. A type y- of thing. Yeah, well, no, this is a lot than better than the emoji, movie, but very yeah. much like why would you make a movie based on this? But it's so good. Yeah, this one is special. Kind of one so of good. the earliest of the why would you make a movie based on this that actually turned out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. From yeah, people yeah. who have become known for that. Yes. Oh, is it like Lord and Miller? It mm-hmm. is Lord and Miller. What did Lord and Miller first? Do? Not first, but not like, first. This but is the, before this... like Spider Verse and right. Yeah, this is the animated movie they made before Spider Verse. Probably what got them Spider Verse. Yeah. And is it animation style like Spider Verse? Like, is it no, not no. really. It's more okay. like you would think it would be stop motion. Based it's on it's the computer IP animated, it designed is. to look like stop motion. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> because because of the IP that it's based on, it's supposed to look mm-hmm. like stop motion. 
Right. I am so in the weeds. There is a live action element featuring... Go back to guessing types of things that it could be based on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. There's a live... Oh, it's a Lego movie. Yes! But that's not the movie's exact opposite. I hate how hard that was to get me to the Lego movie. (laughs) Who is he voice in the Lego movie? He's not in the Lego Lego movie. movie. He's in a spinoff of the Lego movie. He's in the spinoff of the Lego movie. I'm going to go eat a knife. Um... What's the big spin-off of the Lego movie? The Lego Batman Lego movie. Lego Batman movie. He's the voice of the Joker. Lego Batman movie is really good. (laughs) It is really good. It's really good. (laughs) I like it a lot. It's my favorite of all of those. I think Lego Movie movie 2 is not that bad, which Lego Batman movie is significantly better than Lego. Tiffany Haddish is really great in the Lego in the second Lego movie. She's she's the villain. That's fair. Wait. Is it not Taraji? No, Taraji is the villain. Tiffany Haddish. Yeah, oh, Taraji's in, in Wreck It Ralph. Wreck It Ralph too, and in the Paw Patrol movie, Taraji's the villain. Oh, I haven't seen the Paw Patrol. Movie, no, nor should right. you. Uh, listen, number one at the box office for everybody <laughs> playing the Vulture uh, movie fantasy game. All right, well, I'm exhausted, Chris. Why don't you give Katie a, a quiz? So to um, select this, speaking of movies with large casts. I went into the one really significant uh, awards nomination for Everest, and that was the Stunt Ensemble nomination at SAG. (laughs) Also nominated were Furious 7, Jurassic World, uh, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, and then the winner, Mad Max Fury Road. I had to dig through multiple cast members because we've done actually a lot of them. Someone we haven't done, however, is Riley Keough. Oh, I wondered if... I don't know why her name was one that I thought of okay is there any television there's no television wild she's no television a nominee no voices. for a television show uh zola what was she i mean i mean nominated she for? got nominated for daisy jones and the six. Oh, right. she got nominated yeah for those did. emmys that will never happen that have that still not happened okay uh zola incorrect no zola oh jesus Ooh. christ i'm really gonna be in the weeds now um is she in Magic Mike XXL? She's not. Okay. Now I get four years because I am Okay. Lost. Your years are 2015, mm-hmm. 2016, mm-hmm. 2017, and 2017. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Think of what got me to Riley Keough. Uh, oh, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, okay. Mad Max Fury Road. Right, That's thank you for my gimme. Okay. Is she an American Honey? American Honey. She's okay. great in She's American really Honey. good in American, American Honey. Honey. A really good villain in American Honey. Yep. <sighs> so your two 2017s. One okay. of these is from a director whose film we all dogged on in this episode. Just now. <laughs> yes. Is this Scott Cooper? No. Oh. Who else's films have we been talking on? We talked I feel like we've we've gone to so This many is a movie holes. I feel like I recently was like, I actually like this movie and everybody hated it. Oh, is it waves? Wait, we dogged on this director in this move in this episode? Yes. Was it Waves? Yes. Oh, so Trey oh, Edward right. Schultz? He did do Waves. Is she I forgot in about that. Cresha? No. What, what was between Cresha and Waves? I don't have the first clue. Um oh, wait. I always dog oh, on this. Oh, it's a movie. horror movie. Sort of. <laughs> it's starring Joel Edgerton. Oh no, yep. it's not. It follows. Is it? It follows. No, but no, you're very you're close. close. To what it's called. What's that first word? It's it, such a generic. It yeah. happened one night. You're uh, so much closer now. Yeah. It, it, oh, first it, and last. It lives at no. It it comes at night. Yes, yep. it comes at night. 
that was some Mad Libs. <laughs> that was real <laughs> Mad Libs. Yeah. Okay, 2017 is okay. a movie I would be willing to bet every one of us likes quite I a love bit. It. Okay. I love it. Okay, a 2017 movie. Uh, I said, it I was a ensemble. Uh, big ensemble. Big okay. ensemble. A, a director's return to cinema. Everybody but one person in it is really good. Correct. Ooh. Okay. Uh, 2017. It's not an Oscar-y movie, I'm guessing, but that's just how I'm going to should have been. It should have been an oscar movie. But, like, the genre doesn't lend itself to Oscars, no, but this definitely filmmaker no, no, no. definitely is yeah. always... It's not The Post, which is no. a 2017 movie with a million people in it. So they, right. That is a 2017 I wouldn't movie, say right? it Can has a million Riley people Keogh in it. you imagine Riley Keough in The Post, though? No. That would have been amazing. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have a million people in it, but it has it's a maybe good cast. Is it a Soder- people. Is it a Soderbergh? It is a Soderbergh. Oh, so oh, it's Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky. Sheesh. That's why I was thinking sure. she was in a Magic yes. Mike. Everybody but Seth MacFarlane are so good <laughs> in that. Movie. I know. <laughs> Whoo, Riley! I can't believe movie. Zola's not on there. That's crazy. Zola was pretty small. It was. That's just. I remember yeah. that being the first movie where I was like, "Oh, her! Like she's got." Oh, something. interesting. See, it's because you didn't see American Honey. American yeah. Honey was the one yeah. where I was like, "Oh, okay. Like yeah. she's so good." Yeah. All right, you guys. This was we so climbed much fun. It. We're here yeah. at the climbed top. the mountain. Ascended. No O, no cans of O needed. Okay, that's the other thing. <laughs> no O, like just you could say anything else for oxygen. No ox, no O two, no something. No O just lends itself to poor communication on like radios that are probably already <laughs> struggling to have a good signal, right? Like that really bothers me. Jordan Sparks, me. how am I supposed to breathe with no O? With no O. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, Katie Rich, uh, for the sixth year in a row, you are our favorite Thanksgiving tradition. Um, what would you like to say to the people in terms of where you should direct them to? What should they be listening to and oh reading and, and whatnot? Um, well, I'm on the Little Gold Men podcast uh, at Vanity Fair talking about this year's Oscar race, um, which hopefully if you're listening to this, you know that already. Um, on the Fighting in the War Room podcast talking about kind of whatever we want, which is the great beauty of the Fighting in the War Room podcast. Um, <laughs> have you have you guys plugged our screen drafts coming up yet that people should listen no, to the three of us? No, but we should because it's been announced. Yeah, 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 we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll all be on screen drafts talking about Scorsese Together. movies. Um, so when I'm not Online, I am frantically trying to watch Scorsese movies, which has been both incredibly rewarding and incredibly intimidating and a time suck. Uh, <laughs> Come find us in January it's on gonna Screen be fun. Drafts. We're going to be recording until three in the morning to try to get through Can't all wait. these movies. Can't wait. <laughs> um, and- we should also mention that um, the uh, Little Gold Men mini league in the Vulture Fantasy oh, yeah. League is the second biggest mini league. That's right. Uh, second only to. All the the Gary's League. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, as of this recording, or whenever I last looked, I was leading uh, my fellow hosts on that show because I drafted eras Very and nobody good. else did. Um, but Very we'll see good. how long that lasts. Um, and then, yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter for now, not maybe not much longer. And then also in Blue Sky, which I'm trying to use more of at Katie Rich, K A T E Y R C. I should say, seeing the Fighting in the War Room reunion in NYC mm. in person was uh, very heartwarming. Uh, <sighs> 
We've been recording that podcast for 13 years, which people think podcast didn't exist 13 years ago. And let me tell you, they did. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's the great thing about that podcast is we've known each other for a really long time. We've been doing it. We follow every tangent imaginable. So um, people seem to really stick around for the vibe. So maybe that will appeal to your listeners, too. It's a good vibe. Um, listeners can check out uh, the This Head Oscar Buzz Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz, on Instagram at thisheadoscarbuzz, and you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash thisheadoscarbuzz. Chris, where can the listeners find more of you? Uh, Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris v. File. That's F-E-I-L. I am on Twitter and Letterboxd at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez, speaking of Little Gold Men, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance, and Taylor Cole for our theme song. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So get off the phone with the Embassy in Kathmandu already and write us something nice. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Those birds are doing something terribly wrong. And you're going to need to fly a long way to get to the Guardians. You mean they're real? Oh, they're real all right. What are we going to do, Soren? We're going to find the Guardians of Garhul. You've all come this far, each protecting the other. When you have flown as far as you can, you're halfway there. What did he say? We're halfway there.